everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Do you yearn for knowledge, a little engagement, and some comedic relief in these crazy times of isolation? Well, look no further than this week's episode with guest coach Mike Caro of Emory and Henry College. He's got an insight into jumpstarting D3 athletic programs, recruiting, and building relationships with those athletes. And much of what he discusses is also pretty reminiscent of the kind of thing that a gym owner operator deals with on a regular basis. This episode is chocked full of great advice and discussion, and not to mention revelations of movies forgotten, including a homosexual-themed Zorro. I got a fever, and the only cure is more Power Athlete Radio. Here it is, episode 353. That, that was. I did not know your college nickname was hot dog sandwich. Cheese Bologna nipples. Cheese dog. <laughs> no, what was it? Cheese dog sandwich. Oh, ketchup. Uh, no, hot dog sandwich. You're right. It was hot dog sandwich. Tex, on the other hand, used to just go over and put his mouth underneath the soft serve and go. You know, they called him uh, the uh, the vacuum, the Hoover. I would just hit. I would hit that sandwich. Bar Actually, John, it was day. suck zone. Like in the movie Twister? No, that's not the movie I'm thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, the, the titty twister. That's right, Power Athlete Nation. It's time for another rambling episode of the premiere podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing. All right, Jay Welly's still not in it. Hey, let me get let me ask you guys. Is anyone in here feeling a little isolated? Is it too soon? Uh, every day I will come to work. Well, you know, um, I mean emotionally or mentally or physically? Oh, yeah, we got to qualify that question. Yeah, I mean, I know you're like stuck in a glass box of emotion. How about physically isolated due to coronavirus? I like to call it COVID-19. Coronavirus just Why? makes it What's seem... What's the L? Well, uh, it makes it seem like something that you would catch on spring break. Like, oh, I caught herpes, chlamydia, and coronavirus. Yeah. Like, I think covid Sounds like, but there, what's more the L? Like a, it's you, are, you, are you adding just your own L to it? Because it's not Clovid, it's COVID. Oh, so. Cloverfield. Yeah, sure. So you're giving the extra L for just funniness. Yeah, because it sounds better. Because of a clover, because of St. Patrick's Day, where I got Guinness virus. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all got. <laughs> Good thing Guinness we didn't virus. get Corona, uh, Quer, uh, Cuervo virus. No, no, no. That no, would have no. been on uh, Cinco de Mayo. That's correct. Um, Margarita virus. Is also another Ooh, favorite of mine. To get. I do like the Margarita virus, ladies and gentlemen. Without making, I guess, making a little bit of light of the situation, as you know, we're in interesting times, and maybe you have been. These are strange times. Barred, pun intended, from your gym. Like Heath Bar. Heath Bar is fine. Snickers Bar, or just quarantined from your gym, and you're looking for an at-home workout. Well, we have spun up a program that we have called Third Monkey that is specifically designed to be followed with one of the most austere equipment sets we could really drum up from Home Depot. For 50 bucks or less. For 50 bucks or less, which consists of a few cinder blocks, a couple bags of concrete, uh, some bungee cords, and uh, it's going to get you pumped. And I think that's what's going to be a challenge after a week or so. And what we talk a little bit about on the podcast here today with Mike is like body weight workouts yeah. <laughs> for most people. We need more wrinkles. Yeah, so you need you need load, and that's a beautiful thing about a bag of concrete. Eighty pounds for four dollars. I mean, that is an unprecedented price. Sure. For poundage, if you're just going to be hopefully banging weights with this thing for four to six weeks. 
Yeah, well, let's hope it ends quicker than that. Right. So if you are this person, head to powerathletehq.com slash COVID, C-O-V-I-D, and that's where you're going to see a little information you could click through to either, number one, sign up for this program for free by dropping your name and email. We're going to email it every day around 5 o'clock for the next day's training. Um, and kind of the the story behind the name Third Monkey, unless you just want to give it that. No, uh, um, so I have, obviously, as you guys may or may not know, I have three kids, and so... <laughs> Whenever I uh, uh, tell my little boy, whenever he's battling with his sisters, that he has to learn how to fight like the third monkey getting on the ark. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, I had to go read him like the Bible story. And we were talking about the ark and like two by two and the whole deal. And the fact that, you know, two penguins swam from Antarctica to get on the ark. And um, I told him, I was <laughs> oh, like, hey, imagine as you're getting on the ark and there's two monkeys and the two by two, they're all going on. And you're the third monkey in line. What are you going to do? And they were like, well, I don't know. I'm like, you got to take out the second monkey. Mm-hmm. So every day you got to train and live like you're the third monkey fighting on the ark and it just started raining. That's right. So as we were working on coming up with some names, years ago I did this badass um, icon for of a monkey for my big monkey project. And I've just had it sitting there and I'm looking at it and all of a sudden I was like, man, we need some training like heavy, hard, fast and we're preparing for something. So that was where the third monkey came from. Mm-hmm. It was pretty fun to film the demos. Well, and it's even more fun to do create those workouts yeah, and yeah. then throw in there's Friday. So Friday we're taking a chipper mentality and, and stringing these different primals together to really force you to mentally change. Cause mm-hmm. how much, how much does a, to, to mentally push yourself, how much does a cinder block weigh? It's more 30 to 35 pounds. Yeah. 30 to 35. The ones I was using in the videos, I think were a hundred pounders. So probably not, but so different combinations and a lot of, primals and planes of motion so Mm -hmm. squat step and lunge with the cinder block and we want to challenge your grip so even though it is quote-unquote only 45 or excuse me 35 to to 40 pounds we're going to make it feel like luke Mm -hmm. did 100 with all those demos that he did that's right so fun friday workouts but then straight up weight training throughout and we threw some sprint training in there as well so everything you need if you're stuck in your driveway or on the the balcony within your apartment, mm-hmm. throw all the weights out there and and just hit it, show mm-hmm. it off for the yeah. The, and we uh, have we also have a, g- a good amount of people that have been following who ha- like they have their kettlebell or their dumbbell yeah. or mm-hmm. barbell, right? So anywhere there's a cinder block, essentially, just know you can sub in literally sure. anything that weighs not zero. And I guess if you just want to do the body weight stuff, you could too. But so again, people, powerathletehq.com slash C-O-V-I-D, and you can get the information there. Um, let's get on with the show, shall we, gentlemen? Let's do it. We have Mike Caro. And how do we meet Mike again? Uh, through NSCA. So going to all the, oh, okay. the conferences, and now he's the chair of the College Coaches SIG Special Interest Group. So great opportunity to wrap with him in person and now just diving into different levels of sports, athlete training mm-hmm. specifically, and his journey, which is great. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I guess – Kind of a, well, just, you know, a, another lens to look through in terms of like that Division three space, which we joke all the time, D3 All-Star. It is a different world. It is a different world. Division one guys just wouldn't get it. They're pampered the whole time. I mean, literally pampered. I've, I believe it. Bunch of, bunch of crybabies. Everybody's holding their hand, doing everything. You need help studying? Let me hold your hand for that. You need help with uh, your training? Yeah. I, yeah. We have 10 and, coaches and interns that are going to put your plates on for you. And probably what I'm most jealous of is you get all these different colored helmets mm-hmm. for each game mm-hmm. or 
oh man, so much sweats and gear to rock. But then D three, it's man, I your wish that sweats. Was the case. It, you get one pair of sweats, you get one workout shirt, and you got to wear that shit That's how every was. single day. Yeah, and if I, you're a real tryhard guy and you poop your pants all the time, that had to be hell for you. I'll, I'll tell uh, you, that, we'll so, save that story for another podcast. So when we went to Berkeley, they gave me more gear when we went and visited than I ever got. Yeah. It was crazy. They were like giving us all this stuff. I'm like. I never got anything like they, they, they were like, you get one pair of socks, you get one jockey, you get one pair of shorts, one shirt, and then they were numbered and you had to turn them in. <laughs> and like, uh, they gave us all this gear. I'm like, oh, I see they've really lo- loosened right. up the purse. Scoots. You'd like, you'd throw it in the laundry bag and they do your laundry. The clip. And, you got and, the clip. And then if they was? didn't, and then if something was missing, you'd have to go and ask for them and they'd be like asking your dad for like, like 20 bucks. Please, bu- sir, can yeah. I have a jock strap? Yeah, they'd, it'd be like, <laughs> kind of, yeah, you're like, God damn it. Uh. Well, it's a, a fun and lively discussion that includes everything from D3 Strength Coach to a homosexual version of Zorro the movie. Oh, yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever wondered, do you, can Is you homosexual the preferred term that we use The preferred days? nomenclature? Uh, bicurious or other? or I don't know. I oh, guess, gay. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think we can still use gay. Roy G. Bibb or... CrossFit DuPont. Is it the pretty insensitive. What is it? I don't, I don't remember. Roy there G. Bibb? No, that is LGB. LGB. LGBGT. Um, yeah, that was not intentional. It was le- as David, uh, as Dave Chappelle used to call them, the alphabet people. The alphabet people, which I don't think is offensive. It's relatively true. But, and then you can, you'll, you're going to get a very objective measure as to whether or not your ability to review a movie is valid. Mm. So, can you substantiate your movie reviews? You're going to find out. I'm going to have to look for some conversion from ACT to SAT. It's got to be mm-hmm. like a. Some oh, yeah, there's got to be something. But let's get to it, shall we? Uh, well, Mike, I guess, you know, in some, of, some of our guests are lucky enough to actually give an intro before we just start talking about movies. I feel like today's your day, buddy. You struck gold. I feel like I'm one of the crew. <laughs> if you don't mind, man, uh, give our listener uh, your one. intro. Long form. You uh, got all day. No, no, no. I think we have more listeners now than just your mom because oh, okay. a lot Love of people are stuck at home. <laughs> That's true. It's time to catch up uh, on podcasts. I knew things were getting weird. Not, not to cut you off, but I knew it was weird. My mom's like, hey, how do I listen to your podcast? Ooh, I'm just kind of stuck at home. And <laughs> I was like, no, mom, uh, you, you can't get it. She's like, why? I'm like, because I kind of make fun of you every podcast. So <laughs> just like Callie's mom, Mel Hinsman. Oh, yes. Old Mel. Good for her. All right, cool. Sorry. So, Mike, you're on, baby. Uh, sweet. Uh, well, first off, thanks, uh, thanks for this opportunity, guys. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Um, so I started out as a walk-on uh, college athlete. I went to an NAIA school, um, and, and really the only reason I went was to play sports. Um, I got a degree in computer science because it was something that was already familiar to me. Um, I ended up having a pretty successful track and field career. I ended up specializing in uh, the hammer throw. And uh, by the time I left, was a uh, conference record holder, um, school record holder, and a national champion, national runner-up. Um, so it really worked out well. It was a really, really great school. It was, uh, it's called Siena Heights University, um, about the size of the school I'm at now. So, um, had around 1100 students. And, uh, from there I, I, uh, got an offer to continue my track and field career in California, uh, with the throws crew at Azusa Pacific University, which was another small school. Um, so I dropped everything and moved out there and, so tried to pursue my dream of, of qualifying for USA track and field nationals and never quite made it. Got into coaching at the high school level. Um, got my CSCS while I was out there. 
uh, actually got my CSCS before I got my master's degree. Um, ended up volunteering uh, once I got my CSCS at the University of Laverne with Matt Durant. And uh, he took eight, you know, for eight months, just let me pop in whenever I could and help out and learn how he does things. And from there, I went to Portland, Oregon and uh, helped out with uh, Portland State football and Andrew Pompey with their strength and conditioning. Uh, learned about a lot about the D1 world there and, uh, you know, what it takes to be a football strength coach, uh, more so than just a, a general strength coach for all sports at a small school. Um, at that time, I was working on my master's degree, uh, did an online program, um, just because I, I figured I could get more real world experience while I was doing the academic route if I were to continue to do internships. So after Portland State, uh, I ended up getting hooked up with uh, the University of Michigan, uh, which was phenomenal. It was actually only 35 minutes from my uh, undergraduate alma mater. So I, I was pretty familiar with the school. Um, <clears throat> got to work with Mike Favor, Bo Sandoval, Jason Cole, um, just some outstanding coaches there and, and did their full semester internship. You know, I was 32. Uh, the next oldest intern was uh, 22. So that was that was an interesting experience. Um, but I really got a feel for, you know, full-time strength and conditioning, coaching, um, long days, 50, 60-hour weeks while I was doing grad school. It was, I think, the particularly the internship at the University of Michigan was just as much of a, a worthy educational experience as my entire master's program, which was also very good. Uh, by the time I finished there at that internship, uh, I got an opportunity to be the first strength coach at a new private facility in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I did that for a year and a half and, and just really wanted to get back into working with college teams. Um, there was an opening at uh, Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky. So I, uh, I got that gig. And at the time, it was um, there was no strength and conditioning department there. It was just uh, a couple sport coaches who had their CSCS. Uh, I was actually hired as their first throws coach for the track team and one of their strength coaches. Um, and I actually, I couldn't handle the the lack of organization with strength and conditioning. We had one facility for strength and conditioning and uh, it was just kind of a free for all coaches could go in. Um, you know, if an athlete wanted to go in a coach could let them in, nobody took care of it. So I uh, organized the schedule on that uh, with the blessing of the AD started um, assigning our other certified strength coaches to uh, teams to work with, started making up a schedule, started making up the cleaning schedule, so just started getting things organized, um, arranging uh, meetings with the other certified strength coaches and continuing education opportunities, trying to make it more of a legitimate department. Um, and after 10 months in that position, uh, they created their first full-time head strength coach position and offered that to me, which it took because I was already doing it. Um, but had a, had a pretty successful career there, I'd say. Um, it was definitely baptism by fire. I'd never been an assistant strength coach before. I went straight from intern at the University of Michigan to, uh, you know, head strength coach at a college. I had uh, an 800-square-foot racquetball court with four racks and four bars. We had 400 athletes and 26 teams. Um, and by that time, one of the other strength coaches had left for another job, so it was pretty much just me. So it was, it was a lot of learning on how to be time effective and efficient, how to get the most um, out of our training sessions for my athletes, um, how to schedule, how to work with 26 teams when, you know, there's not 26 hours in a day. Uh, so I was there for about three years and then uh, a job at uh, Emory and Henry College, where I am now in uh, Southwest Virginia, opened up and um, I got that one and came in and hit the ground running. Um, big change for me because... Uh, for two reasons. 
uh, Transylvania University didn't have football. Uh, and at Emory and Henry, football is huge, um, huge alumni following. Uh, so I got an opportunity, or I have an opportunity here to work with a, a really big, really good football program. Uh, and the space was a lot different. Um, at Transy, we had uh, an 800 square foot racquetball court, and here at Emory and Henry, we have a 5,000 square foot uh, facility. It's a combined campus fitness center and varsity strength and conditioning facility. Uh, but we have six double-sided racks, so I can actually get 48 athletes in at once. Um, so it's, it's a lot different. It's, it's, in my honest opinion, it's one of the best facilities um, for Division three, especially private schools in the nation. Um, we're really lucky to have what we have here. The coaches have a, a very strong sense of, of how important strength and conditioning is for their athletes. So they're very supportive. Um, it's, it's a really good place to be. We've got, um, for being in rural Southwest Virginia, We've got some great opportunities for our athletes. Um, we're one of few uh, Division three schools in the greater area that actually have two full-time strength coaches. Uh, we have a, a really good um, internship program. We've had some interns come out of here, go on to the MLB, MLS, um, working with Olympic teams, uh, going on to Division one. So it's a good place. You know, we're, we're in a good spot right now. And, you know, one of my things is just continuous growth. We're always looking for how we can improve uh, the program here. Nice, man. Thanks for that. Yeah, world of experience. And I want to explore a lot of it from NAIA to Division Three, and really give our listeners a perspective on these different, different divisions. Because yeah. from outsiders or gym owners or most of our listeners, D1's all we get from the ESPNs, and then there's just the whole world of athletes. I pulled up some stats. There's half a million Division Three. Uh, excuse me, there's half a million NCAA athletes, and then 200,000 of which are Division Three. So a lot of opportunities for kids out there. But when it comes to strength and conditioning, uh, not a lot of access to coaches. But we're starting mm -hmm. to see that transition. So... Um, let's, let's start with your experience at division three, you tasted division one through that big five powerhouse school football, but then jumped yep. at this opportunity to take on division three at, at Transylvania. So what was that push? Was there a, a stigma against this position or you said, screw it, I'm going to create something. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, for me, um, it, you know, as, as you guys know, there's a lot of oversaturation in the field. You know, I probably applied to a hundred or so jobs uh, between the time when I got my CSCS and when I actually got my first collegiate strength and conditioning position. So for me, it was just being able to get into the field. I told myself, this isn't going to be, you know, probably isn't going to be a great glorious job uh, starting at a small division three with what was uh, to my knowledge, one of the smallest NCAA weight rooms in the nation at the time. Um, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a tough row, uh, but, you know, I, I, I grew up on a farm. Um, I was an undersized athlete in high school, and uh, I, I really enjoy a challenge. And uh, I kind of had a feeling when I started there that if I did a good enough job, job, I'd be able to really create my own program, which is not something a lot of strength coaches get to do. Um, so, you know, I was, I was just kind of taking it upon myself that, you know, no matter what the uh, – no matter what the size of the school was or the program was or what they were known for, I was just going to go in and do the best job I could and try and make a name for myself. And, you know, bottom line, really try to help the athletes there because at the time, like I said, um, maybe 
three or four of the teams were actually working with a strength coach intermittently, but there was no organization. So I knew that with my experience being at bigger schools, as well as being at another division three uh, at University of Laverne, that I could really make an impact uh, on the school. That's, that's what I was really looking to do is, is, is not just be another, um, be another part of the machine, uh, but be a little bit more of a conductor and make a, a big impact on the lives of the athletes in the school and try and build something um, that, that, that would, be, would be known in the area. Um, and I, I think I was able to do that to a point with the limited resources I had there. It's tricky being in Division III. Um, you know, now working with undergraduates who are looking to become strength coaches, um, some of them go on to small schools, some of them go on to big schools, some of them go on to their own, uh, their own facilities or, or gyms. I tell them if you're going to work at Division III, uh, creativity is key. You know, there's, there's a lot of small schools that get no budget. Um, so it's all fundraising and it's all, what can you build on your own? When I was at Transylvania, if I wanted uh, any equipment, uh, even to replace broken equipment, I had to ask for it because I had no budget. Um, so it really had to be worth it. So, you know, I, I started compiling resources for um, <clears throat> uh, weight room equipment you can build on your own, uh, started compiling, you know, resources for uh, programming that athletes can do on their days off that will still benefit them um, so they can get a little bit more. Um, I started developing uh, my own system of, of the tier system. And because to me, you know, obviously to, at a division one school, they're seeing their athletes four or five, six times a week. And I've got um, a limited number of hours per week that I can actually meet with teams. So three times a week uh, was the optimal for me because, you know, it meant that we could get enough stimulus to make progressions, to make adaptations. Um, but I could fit in some teams in those gaps or on the days off. You know, I could get some of the in-season teams, hopefully two days a week and then out of season teams, three days a week and just make a, a livable schedule out of it. But also again, have a, a bigger impact on the athletes than what they were getting at that time uh, or before I started. Yeah, I know the rules are a little bit different at, at three. So in yeah. division one, there's, a, you get eight hours of practice and then in division three, That's just a week. Uh, yes. Eight hours a week. It's just, no, as long as you have one day off, in yep. your calendar week, you can do whatever the hell you want with your teams. So the limitation is almost on the, the coaching staff available mm -hmm. to empower the facilities, these kids. Right. I guess yeah. 800 square foot racquetball court. You know, uh, my brothers played at the Claremont schools, so they played. Yeah. Football I used to compete out there. Yeah. No, I, um, yeah. So my brothers went to Pomona Pitzer and, uh, yep. yeah, played football there. So I've been actually been to Laverne and, uh, we used to go to like Redlands and that whole Skyac league was their deal. So yep. yeah, no, it's, it's a nice place. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I was laughing as you were talking about no budget. I'm like, man, the Claremont schools, like uh, they had an unbelievable weight room and like training facility oh, yeah. and everything. But it's also, I think their, their endowment is only, uh, rivaled by like Harvard for like the Claremont. Oh, schools. sure. That's yeah. I did want to get into that as well is division three, very well known academic schools. We go into the MITs yeah. and that whole North Northeast sector and, I am just afraid for the the budgets that are going to get hit with all we're going on right now with the economy. Uh, you know, oh, what's, yeah. what's interesting is um, I think with a lot of those schools, their endowments are so big. I mean, like they just have like these massive endowments. I think that they can maybe hopefully weather the storm. But I mean, I, I think everybody's going to feel this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, with, with Division Three, actually, if you look at the NCAA uh, rule book, 
Um, I counted it up once and I think it only actually mentions strength and conditioning four times in the entire book. Uh, and a lot of that just has to do with countable um, activities and what you can and can't do. So in at division three, if they're, once they have their first official in-season practice um, or for teams that have a non-traditional season, like football will have spring ball, soccer will have spring season, um, baseball, softball will have fall season. Those can, we can make those mandatory, uh, which means we can punish or reward athletes for uh, showing up or not showing up. Um, but everything else is completely voluntary. You cannot, you know, the day that, that competition ends, um, if you have a training session the next, you know, the next day or the next week and they don't show up, according to the rules, you can't punish, punish them for not showing up. You know, if they, if they come in um, once a week instead of three times a week, you can't say, hey, you got 20 down-ups for missing last Tuesday. Technically, it's against the rules. So a lot of what happens in Division Three compared to the bigger schools, also there's there are no scholarships athletically at Division Three, so we get athletes that are that are literally just there for the love of the sport, or because their parents pressured them into it. But that kind of works itself out. So I guess you you just rely on like the team mentality and you punish the kids who were there. So like, uh, Tex, you show up, John, twenty up downs, let's go. And then you got to watch. Well, did you hear him? He said down ups, which actually was a joke because uh, I used to always laugh. I'm like, wait a minute. Don't we go down and then we come up? What do mm -hmm. we call them up downs? Well, thank you. you thank you. And then you go down. But yeah, but then it's a cliffhanger. Well, I, I know. But you, you said it. And I was like, man, that's uh, that's been a joke of mine for like for years. Being like, are you guys confused? Because you go down, yeah. then you come up. So when you said it, I was like, <laughs> oh, it's that's always bothered me, too, because yeah. sport coaches would be like up downs. And I'm like, but you got to go down before you can jump up. Yeah, yeah. but you're starting up. So you got to go down from your up position. Yeah, exactly. So unless it's down you start up. with yeah, a jump. Down. Unless you somehow are knocked on the ground, like mm. during a play, and then you have to go from like up, but then you get knocked That's down again. The, the specificity of the exercise, John, to train so, us to. Well, my other favorite was uh, they used up downs as punishment for us. They'd be like, um, I think I told you, uh, Tom Cable's uh, flipping out and giving me 800 yards of up downs, which means that like every five yards, you basically do an up down. You have to run 800 yards back and forth. And, uh, like just thinking about, <laughs> and then like we get into like the CrossFit market where actually people are paying to do burpees, and I'm like, they're not fucking. Oh burpees. my gosh, they're well, fucking called up downs, you fucks. Down ups <laughs> or down ups. With the the term, if you remember, punishment from the old seminars. Oh yeah. Oh So man. this was coined in my sport coaching days because we couldn't punish the team, so it turned into punishment. <sighs> Is that where you got the fucking condo? I hate when people what, say condo. Condo, I'm making fun of conditioning because they uh, but the punishment was to uh, if one of our players were to argue the rules of the ncaa against mm -hmm. us no that's punishment whenever somebody but would be like rewarded. hey uh the condo test i'm like the what test the condo test yeah what i i don't know what that is are we going to a condo and like i would just find, i was like is it like we're going to go into a, but we like were a making condominium? fun of the conditioning test because it was just overvalued uh, yeah Mike, what are what are some of the outlandish claims or misinterpretation of the understandings that sport coaches presented to you about conditioning or strength training? Just something that they believed was easy, but was actually fairly complex or counterintuitive to performance. Uh, for me, and maybe this is because I'm a power athlete uh, in my background, the Ooh. amount of Power the amount athlete. of conditioning tests that sport coaches seem to want to do tends to be outlandish, um, particularly 
and particularly the, the mile run test. That's like a go-to for almost every team. You know, I've had a, a coach from almost every sport I've ever worked with that wants to do, we need to do a mile run test, see how in shape they are. Why? What's, you know, what's, what's a mile run going to tell me about your basketball guys? You know, what's, what's a mile run going to tell me, you know, about your, your soccer girls? Why don't we do something that's more specific to what they do? Um, and of course, a lot of coaches want to do, you know, we need to do more conditioning and less lifting. And, and particularly at the division three level, if you really look at the athletes we get, you know, um, let's, let's be honest, we're not getting the thoroughbreds they're getting at division one. Most of the time we're getting athletes that maybe were scouted by division one, but then had an ACL and all of a sudden, you know, they got more interest from smaller schools. Um, we're getting athletes that maybe just, you know, had to outwork everybody to get playing time. Um, so if you look at the athletes we're getting, a lot of the time they're not as strong as they should be for their position or their sport or, or you know, the requirements of what, what they have to do. Um, a lot of the time they lack mobility and flexibility. Um, core strength is, is usually very low. Um, and that's not with all of them, but in general, that's what we see. So my, uh, my prerogative is usually let's get them stronger and do so, as much conditioning as we can, as much specific energy system development as we can, but let's try and keep them uninjured as much as possible for four years. And part of that is getting them stronger because strength will help to, to offset injury likelihood. Um, and in our program, we do mobility work every day for uh, shoulders, T-spine, hips, and ankles. Does everybody need it? No, uh, but it, it fills the gap during our rest periods, during our first circuit. So we get a little bit of stuff or, or a little bit of mobility work every time they come in. Um, and we really focus on those two things, primarily with our younger athletes coming in. Um, and then as they improve in their strength, we look at uh, branching out and doing more for overall athleticism. It's not to say we don't do energy system training, uh, but we try to focus on what's most important first. And how, how were you met with that with some of these coaches? Was, was it a battle? Did you, um, or did you inform, like, what was your strategy? Cause I know that's a very real conversation that a lot of our coaches try to have and maybe don't succeed at, at first, but any tips you have there working with the sport coaches? It's all about building relationships, particularly at this level, going back to talking about, uh, what, what you do for all the voluntary training with athletes. Um, my view is don't waste your energy on athletes that aren't going to show up, you know, um, make the best of it when they are there, try to cultivate the relationship to make them want to be there, um, get them to enjoy what they're doing, really point out when they're improving and how what they're doing in the weight room is, is impacting their, their abilities on the court or on the field. Um, but develop those relationships, get to know them a little bit better, ask about their major, ask about, you know, if they told you something about their family, follow up on that. Um, you know, just like all straight coaches say, get to know them as a person. Um, and that will increase their willingness to participate. Uh, and the same thing goes for your sport coaches. Um, you know, it's, I, uh, I've always said that as a strength and conditioning coach, we want to be servant leaders. Um, and I saw a quote recently that, that really flipped my thinking on this and it was uh, service provider leaders. You know, we're not serving, we're not servants to sport coaches. We're coworkers. We work alongside them. We provide something that helps their athletes um, but we're not there to answer to them. We're there to work with them um, on getting the best for these athletes, the best training. Um, you know, if, if the coach has input on something they'd like to see in the training session, I'm going to take that into, into consideration. 
Um, you know, I've, I've been working with our, we have a, a new women's basketball coach and a new men's basketball coach this year. And, uh, you know, compared to our, our previous coaches, uh, they run things a little bit different. So I'm talking to them right now about what, what did you see with your, with your athletes? What do you think they need? Uh, now it's, I don't think I'd be mistaken if I said a lot of our sport coaches don't have the background in exercise science and physiology that strength coaches do, but they have a better background in their sport. So they may tell me, oh, they need to, you know, they need to be able to skip pass better, or they need to be able to, to move sideways better. I'm going to take that and I'm going to look at my programming and say, is there something I can do to make those things better, to make their athletic ability better, increase their athleticism so that once they get back to training with their coach, um, their increased athleticism will lead to greater ability on the court. You know, so, and, and I've worked with, with coaches that are, you know, that want to have it as a dictatorship, you know, you're my guy. This is what I want done. Make sure that's in your programming. We're not going to do any of this. You know, it's, it's compromise. You know, we've got, I've worked with, with coaches that are like, we don't, I don't want them doing any weightlifting. Uh, it's going to, it's going to ruin their wrists. Uh, they're not weightlifters. They don't need it. You know, if it puts the coach at ease, there are other ways we can get things done. You know, I've got some football guys that have injuries that don't allow them to do uh, clean snatches and jerks. No problem. You know, there are other ways we can get those things done um, that will still provide. You know, I've had, uh, I've had one football kid with a back injury that, you know, can't, can't squat heavy on a back squat, but he can hit the pit shark, you know, and he's all of 165 pounds, six foot one. Um, and he's seen his squat go up and his vertical go up for two years and he's never done, or he hasn't done cleans or any, any Olympic movements since I've been here, you know, he's on a different program, but it, it you know, it works. Uh, so getting back to the question, it's, it's about developing relationships. Um, you know, when you first come into a place, um, your coaches that have been there a while are, are usually going to, um, they're going to, in my experience, they tend to think that a strength coach is a strength coach and you're going to do, you know, whatever the last person did. Um, so if they want changes, they're going to be upfront about it. If they were okay with the way the last person did things, you know, they might be a little bit more relaxed. Um, but an important thing is just to go in and, and talk to them and let them know, this is how I run my program. These are my non-negotiables. Um, but, I want you to have input on the program. Let's talk about what you see with your athletes. What can we improve on? Um, you know, what would you like to see? And, and if it's, if it's got a, a, a solid foundation, if the request has a solid foundation, you know, it's, it's up to us to fit in, to fit that into our training to benefit um, their team and their athletes in a way that maybe they can only see because they're the coach and they've got a different perspective. What do those non-negotiables look like? Uh, well, for me, when I started here at Emory and Henry and when I was at Transy, I told all our coaches that out-of-season athletes train three days a week. I won't train them four days a week. I can give them stuff to do on their own, uh, but I don't even have time to get to all the teams we have. In-season teams, uh, for the most part, will train two days a week. Uh, exception to that would be track and field. And part of the reason for that is I'm also a track coach here at Emory and Henry. So, um, you know, I get to see them a lot more often. Um, for me, it's, you know, unless there's an underlying physiological reason, we're going to squat, we're going to bench, we're probably going to do uh, some type of, of weightlifting movement uh, because I, I find them most beneficial. That's what my program's based around. You know, we're going to do total body lifts every time they come in. Um, we're going to, you know, cycle through things. They will have to touch heavy weight. They will have to learn how to use a barbell. All of our incoming freshmen are going to do the incoming program. 
Um, so there's certain standards in our program, you know, that, that are always going to be there and, and need to be met by all of our athletes. Um, and it's, it's not to tell our coaches I'm the end all be all, and this is the way it has to be. You know, it's, it's just like coming in and saying, Oh, you know, you run this kind of offense, this kind of defense. Cool. I'm not going to change that. I'm going to adapt my training to what you do, but this is the type of strength and conditioning program I run. Um, I want you to be aware that this is what I've found is most effective and it's give us going to give us the best bang for our buck. Yeah, man. It's like align expectations out of the gate, right? I'm curious. Absolutely. I'm curious how many coaches have those, those non-negotiables in their back pocket that they're ready to toss down. I want to touch on culture as well, because it is, you, you have barbell, you have stress that you can apply to create a great culture within the weight room, but then you have how many different teams at Emory? Uh, we're going to be getting our 27th and 28th teams this fall. We're adding wrestling. Oh, awesome. So 28 yeah. head coaches outside of the weight room with 28 different philosophies and approaches to culture within their, their locker room. And we've also never met a head coach that doesn't think they know everything about strength training. Also true. Which is always blows my mind. So yeah. at, at which point do you, do you have very strict coaches that then don't listen to your approach within the weight room culture or coaches that try to have a player coach, you know what I'm talking about? A, a player yeah. focused culture that then goes against what's in the weight room. So almost both ends of the spectrum versus what, you feel you're trying to develop and grow within the walls of the weight room? It's an interesting thing working with coaches, uh, particularly on um, intangibles like culture, because every coach, every sport coach is going to tell you, yeah, we work on culture. Yeah. We do cultural development and everybody's different about it. Um, in my opinion, the weight room obviously should reflect the culture of the team, but it should also have its own standalone culture that fits into all teams. Um, here at Emory and Henry, uh, we have a mission statement or a cultural statement that comes from our AD that kind of is umbrella and fits in with uh, the way things are seen by the NCAA for Division III. Um, what we're looking at at our unique niche is a rural D3 school, and that kind of, of uh, spills over into all of our teams. And I see my strength and conditioning program, our culture, as kind of um, infiltrating or, or coming up from the bottom. So we're, we're kind of getting it from both sides and every team is going to have their individual culture. Um, but I want what we do in the weight room and the way we do things in the weight room to feed into that culture instead of being um, its own separate silo. Uh, so in our weight room, we actually have um, our three standards of the program um, on the walls. So their attitude, effort, and focus, and they're, they're kind of generic. You know, a lot of teams will say, um, you know, 100% all the time, but they'll have a whole list of things. Um, and we have something like that with them. But um, if you see the walls of our weight room, um, we have these three big words, attitude, effort, and focus. And I tell our athletes all the time, those are our standards because those are the three things you can always control when you walk through these doors, right? You can, you can control what your attitude is going to be during this training session. You can control how much effort you're going to put in and you can control your level of focus. And if you can be in charge of those three things, you're covering a lot of what needs to be covered on the mental side or on the cultural side to becoming better. Um, and then below each of those, we have some of our standards, like all in all the time. Um, champions put the team first. Um, always arrive on time. Be consistent. Commit yourself to the process. And we actually, I put up a couple or a quote under each one that kind of reflects it. Like 
with effort, you know, and it's just there are quotes that help to, uh, in, in my opinion, get the athlete thinking, you know, what is your why? Why do you play right for for attitude? Why are you coming in here and putting in the effort uh, for uh, for effort? It's uh, what uh, well, let me think for effort is what are you willing to sacrifice? You know, and, and I think that's particularly important at the division three level because our athletes are so over involved. We have so many things that they're a part of outside of athletics um, that they may need to sacrifice some Greek life opportunities. They may need to sacrifice going to a concert because we got a, you know, an evening training session. You know, they may need to sacrifice a little bit of sleep because, you know, we've got an early one the next morning and that's the only time we can get it in this week before they leave for their weekend tournament. Uh, and then the, the, the quote underneath focus is, uh, where are you? What are you doing? You know, it's, and I, I forget, I was listening to a podcast with another strength coach and, and to me, the, the answer is always the same, you know, uh, whether you ask that question in the weight room or, um, in the classroom or on the field, the answer is always you're right here right now. This is all that's important. And I tell our athletes all the time that focus is probably one of the most important things in the weight room, because if you're not focused, you're not getting out of the training, what you could, and you're more likely to be injured. So you really got to be keyed in on those things. So, um, through putting those things on the wall, one thing I try to do is get our athletes to, to just read through them every time they come in. And I feel it really helps them to get uh, mentally focused on the training session. Now, the way that applies to culture is I do believe those three things also apply, um, can apply to every sport team, every practice, every game. You know, they can control those things when they step on the pitch, when they step on the court, when they step on the mat. Um, and if they can go through those, those same questions and, keep, and think about the standards that we have for each of those values, uh, that really helps them to get centered in on what they're doing. I don't think it takes away from any one team's culture, but can help to enhance those cultures um, in a, those specific cultures in a more uh, general way. Does that make sense? Yeah. F- follow-up question, and this, this is for John as well. What are some signs in your experience of a bad team? So with you, you have, you're looking at 28 different teams, and you know good eggs, bad eggs, bad teams at good teams and certain points in the season when one, two games are not going your way, bad teams react negatively. Sometimes good teams rise up. So what Mm -hmm. are some signs of some bad teams for both of y'all that, that have just stuck out and clear as day that you can help empower for the next time you're faced with this issue? John, you want to go first? Yeah, years ago, sure. Uh, years ago, I coined this phrase: uh, "In the absence of true leadership, false prophets appear." And it's uh, what happens is, is all of a sudden, when you have shitty leadership, especially at the top, from the top down, with like you know coaches or whatnot. And I think uh, players are ser- constantly searching for like authenticity. So, like, if uh, a coach says, "Hey, you know, this is uh, non-negotiables; these are the rules," and yet then they break the rules for like one individual. Uh, then all of a sudden the players start realizing like, oh, well, the rules don't apply to that person. And then uh, as things start kind of tumbling down, then you get this kind of false prophets where now all of a sudden people that normally wouldn't say anything are like coming out of the woodwork. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, dude, this guy sucks. And or this guy is like by far the worst character guy. And he's trying to, you know, lead the team and all of a sudden become a leader. And uh, I just remember, man, in absence of true leadership, false prophets appear where now all of a sudden guys are like prophesizing and like, you know, making these you know, preposterous claims. So, um, I always figured, uh, you know, 
realistically, most teams are a reflection of the person that's leading them. Now, um, there are player-led teams and there's coach-led teams, and then sometimes there's a you know kind of a mix of both. But I think if that person is a genuine person and actually the rules apply to them and they take it all seriously, I think you do very well. I think when all of a sudden coaches and players start bending the rules and start changing things, and then all of a sudden the people below see that, all of a sudden now you're going to have a, a mutiny on your hands. And um, then what you have to do is you have to get the training staff and got the you know strength coach and bring somebody in and then it becomes an authoritarian deal and and you got to just hopefully you know the the turnover's high enough to kind of clear the water it's been muddied so absolutely I, I couldn't agree more um you know it's you really learn the character and the culture of your team once they start hitting that that tough stretch during the season if they do and we've seen it you know I, i've seen the entire spectrum and to me it is a spectrum good teams bad teams it, it falls on a spectrum um, I've seen it all, you know, here, um, even with in our in our small microchasm of, of of college athletics, you know, we've got some teams it's a, to me, you really have to define what is bad. And I think some of our coaches, some sport coaches and even some strength coaches do a better job of defining it than others. You know, is bad um, your team that's backstabbing each other, sabotaging each other is bad. Your team that doesn't give effort. They just want to be there to socialize and have fun playing their sport. Um, so it's on different levels. Um you know, and to me, coming from a, you know, a farm kid background, to me, a bad team in general is a team that's not going to put forth the effort to accomplish something. Um, and, and that that comes with your, your country club culture, your social culture, that comes with your backstabbing culture, um, because they're not focused on uh, what are we supposed to be achieving here and how do we get to it? They're more focused on their individual priorities um, and that's to me that that really it's unfortunate when you see a team doing that because they're really missing out on the the limited opportunity they have to participate in collegiate sports. So for me, um, you know, when it comes to a bad team, <clears throat> first of all, culture comes from the top down. It comes from the head coaches. It comes from the assistant coaches. Um, and and let's be honest, not all coaches are going to want to work with you on culture. I've faced that as well. Um, and again, to me, it just comes back to if they don't want to work on on culture and reinforce it, reinforce what I'm doing on uh, during their practices or reinforce what they're doing in practices in the weight room, I'm just going to do the best job that I can in my environment to really drum up the best weight room culture possible and hope that it carries over to their team, whether they reinforce it or not. Um, one thing I try to tell all my teams, and this is this is a really tough thing, particularly for your teams that are hitting a, a tough part of their schedule or have multiple losses in a row. It's really tough for them to hear. And it almost sounds cliche, but I truly believe that championship level teams will learn from their losses and from their wins. Um, we've got, we've got a couple teams here on campus that, that go to the postseason every year and you know, they hit long win streaks and they're, they're, they have very good cultures. Um, and I, you know, I try to bring them, I, I let them celebrate their wins, but you know, if we have a, a great, uh, a great win and a training session the next day, one thing I always try to do is, is bring them back down to earth and tell them, um, don't just take that win for granted. Look at your performance, look at your team's performance. How can you get better? Because even though losses, um, show you definitively show you things you can improve on, you can still see some, some improvements through your wins as well. And it's not to nitpick the negative, um, but we always want continuous improvement. You know, don't just lump it all in as we won, we're great. You know, what can we do a little bit better? Or where did we lose a little bit of focus? 
Um, and the same thing applies obviously to your teams that have losses. Um, you know, what, what can you, what can you do better as an individual? What could you do better as a team? Um, and I like to, when I'm able to have those self-reflective exercises at the end of a training session, um, or maybe for some teams, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with their competition, but, um, uh, what about the weight room today? How would you rate yourself on effort, attitude, and focus? You know, which one of those can you improve on? Uh, because if we can improve on those things, it'll carry over into your sport. So it's, it's, it's difficult for me because obviously I want to see all my athletes win. I want to see them be successful um, all the time. Uh, but I do think it's the job of a strength coach uh, because we aren't always at the competitions, um, particularly in, in, in the small school situation. Uh, it's, it's easier for us to kind of take, bring the team back down to earth, either from a loss or from a win and say, okay, let's refocus and think about um, what can we do better now? You know, did we just beat a really good team and leveled up in a, in a matter of speaking, what can we do to hit the next level? What can we do to continue to continue to improve instead of just sitting back on our heels and saying, we're great. We just beat a really good team. We'll just coast through the season now. Cause we're awesome. Was it Tom Newman that we had on that he had his athletes scoring each other in the weight room? I can't remember. Oh yeah. And I guess the sure. only way you could get a zero is if you didn't help anybody. So we were great. It's like if you didn't show up is how you got a zero, but even if you show, showed up, you got a one. And then if you help yeah. somebody, you got a four. Oh, so Matt nine, Matt nine at Salisbury university does something like that as well. He has the athletes rate oh. each other on their values. Yeah. And he's been doing it for multiple teams over multiple seasons. And he's like, what I can tell you is we don't get a 183 as a team average. It's a bad season. Like oh, every, wow. It was like, and I'm making those numbers up, let's say, but there's a certain inflection point where if you trended under that, it was a losing season. And when you were above that, it was a winning season. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, Salisbury was in my conference, and we they probably <laughs> four years scored 100 goals against us. <laughs> they, uh, man, they were good. But he does. Matt does an awesome job up there too. He yeah. does a really great job. It's in Ocean City, Maryland, and they have the privilege of say a kid fails out or injuries out of Maryland or Johns Hopkins. I'll go. I'll go play at the beach for a couple seasons and just go win a national championship. Mm -hmm. So they were in our <laughs> conference and got my fair share of ass kicking. One cool thing, cool thing as a, a D three athlete is the different stadiums because I know we like in Big Five football we go to these amazing stadiums. In D3, it's cool college campus because the, the stadium is right there on campus. Salisbury was pretty epic, and Lynchburg's was cool. But Salisbury, mm -hmm. there'd be a tunnel How from... How was the steak? Uh, <laughs> the, uh, there'd be a tunnel <laughs> from the locker room. So you do your ankle tape in and all that crazy stuff. You got to get dressed in the locker room, and then you're walking down this tunnel that goes underneath the, basically the campus and leads to the stadium. But all the other team is waiting at the end of the stadium just like uh, pounding and screaming. So you, your team is walking through like 50 guys that are just like barking and, and yelling at you as you walked up to the stadium. And then when they did their, their warm-up lap, they played the Darth Vader theme song. I don't know. A pretty good on-the-road experience. Yeah. And they, I mean, national championship every year, but that was fun. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, they had a weight room and we had a fitness center. So mm -hmm. that was that was it. So, Mike, how long have you been coaching in like the NAIA and D3 space? Um, 
Let's see, I started at Transy in 20, 2016, 20, no, 2013, okay. I think. So um, I was at, like I said, I was at University of Laverne as a volunteer for a while before that. So I'd say about six or seven years. Yeah, so you're kind of you're kind of straddling uh, two different generations of kids, right? Yeah. So oh, I yeah. guess like you're now getting into iGen. Is that what it was? Who who was going to give us it? Luke K. Luke K. Yeah. Well, so uh, I guess I'm is, just. Is that the latest one? Is iGen? I think that's Z. Well, no. Z slash iGen, like a small i, like an iPhone. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that's, that's pretty pretty creative. It wasn't me. Oh. But uh, I never assumed it was. <clears throat> I was curious if you, I also went to D3, uh, intended playing football there, but didn't. So I, I have a feel for like the, I, the vibe that D3 kids have, you know, so there's a few different motives to go to a D3 school. One of which is mm-hmm. to continue to play sports, right? You just, you're, you have a, a strong desire to continue to play. Um, the other might be you want to stay close to home or I don't know. You want to be part of a smaller program or your get into a school that you probably couldn't get into. Like my older brothers who mm-hmm. played division one and then transferred into a division three. That was a much better school. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, as my brother told me, like they would have never got into the Claremont schools if mm-hmm. it wasn't for football. So they, you know, like yeah. so I, I sometimes think, um, I mean, when I was a senior in high school, I remember the guys from Harvard and Yale called me and were like, Hey, we'd love to have you come play. And I was like, ah, oh, really? Um, guys give scholarships and they're like no we give financial aid <laughs> i'm like oh my dad's a fairly decent attorney there's no way i'm getting financial aid right and uh the guy and i'm like but i got all these scholarship offers and the dude's like good luck to you <laughs> you know <laughs> but like i mean you know i mean there there would have been an opportunity like what if i you know my dad was willing sure. to pony up that money and i got to go to harvard or yale i mean that's pretty nice yeah. opportunity Th- that is an ncaa rule no performance athletic performance based financial aid mm-hmm. so it's all got to be academic for but we can help you get in, but they can help you get in, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. financial aid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, like to, you know, get through the admissions process, but you know, I guess if you said, but there that, is also like the, you may get access to a presidential scholarship that maybe you wouldn't otherwise have access to. I didn't yeah. get that. I did. Did you really? I didn't play. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. 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 Um, but and, so I guess I'm curious, is that Did still... it have to do with a dentist? Uh, No. It's just that I had exemplary scores on my ACT. Oh. Really average 27. 27. <laughs> yeah, that's not that exemplary. <laughs> yeah, but I was, I was 35 in math. So, uh, and I was going in for a math major. Uh, what was, um, I, I don't know, we only did SAT. I don't know the ACTs. We so 27, for anyone listening, means that you have the, you, you have a clear lens on reviewing movies. So if you scored a 27 <laughs> or higher on your I, ACT. I did not. Then you can oh, accurately. Is this a dig on text? No, this is just facts. <laughs> Naperville, one hundred percent. This has been since uh, probably nineteen ninety nine. Our group of friends is if you don't have a twenty seven ACT, you have no bearing on providing movie like accurate movie reviews. So it would be like, ah, uh, hey, did you see? Um, did you go see Super Troopers? Yeah, it was awful. Wait, what was your ACT? And you're like twenty six. Like doesn't matter. How was it? And you're like it's great. Thirty one ACT. You know. So that's. But, uh, no, huh. 27. Well, I think, rule stands because I did not get a 27 on my ACT. That's so. right. So, uh, what, is that just uh, like a timing deal? Like, because I, I don't even remember there was an ACT. Uh, no, on, it's like, like West Coast was SAT. SAT. Yeah. Well, no, it's a different test. It was more like science and social studies versus a uh-huh. SAT. 
was Which is like uh, reading comprehension, and math. writing, yeah. and math. But uh, totally derailed, nonetheless. What we know is McQuoken doesn't have a twenty-seven. I do, so listeners know that any sort of movie um, <laughs> reviewing that goes on on this podcast is totally valid from this side of the table and not on McQuoken's side. A la Fast and Furious, so we all know it's a great movie. John, confirm? You probably would have got a 27. John's on board. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, the Fast and Furious documentaries are Can some of the finest. Can we retake the ACT? Like, Let's is there an it. age yeah. limit? Uh, the, only, the only way I would do it is if I got a chance to, like, get the book and prep for it ahead well, of time. I'll, my, I will go cold on ACT. Uh, I went cold on my GMAT. Um, I graduated and I had to get into grad school. And they were like, hey, you got to go take, like, the GMAT. And uh, I just signed up and, like, went, like, the next week. And? Totally cool. And I don't even remember what my score was, but obviously it was good enough to get yeah, in. good enough to get in. Because uh, if I didn't get in, I couldn't play my fifth year of football. Well, so I don't know if it was actually good enough to get in, but I got in. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to get that score to see what your movie review um, <laughs> But that was a GMAT. Validity is. Yeah. Well, we'll, well figure out is the there a way to extrapolate? Yeah, there's got to be a conversion online. Got to be. Back to the question. So it has... Have those lanes of why kids are coming into the D3 space, is that still pretty much the same? And then I guess cross-sectional question, if you will. Um, how has the attitude been evolving in the D3 space or maybe not as kind of there's a shift in generational uh, kids coming in? Wow, that's a good question. Um, in my observation, I think it's, I think the reasons are pretty much the same. Kids want to continue playing sports. They have an opportunity to do it at the collegiate level. Um, as you guys alluded to, they want to go into, want to go to a school that's uh, maybe has a, a greater academic focus or can uh, one thing actually that we do see more now is uh, student athletes who are looking to go to a small school and, advance their, their education faster. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to pay as much in student loans. We've got, oh, right. um, uh, yeah, when I was at, uh, I was at, at, when I was at Transy, we actually had a very good, uh, athlete, uh, who was coming back for her senior year it was actually nationally ranked, um, um, uh, in a team sport, but her stats were nationally ranked in the top five, uh, of D threes. And she elected to graduate in December instead of coming back and playing her last spring season. Um, just because she didn't want to take on extra debt. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's one thing I would say that I'm seeing a little bit more of is, is students who are thinking ahead more and looking at, uh, and schools are offering this more, you know, we're doing it here at Emory and Henry, you know, a five-year five process to master's instead of six or seven years um, because there's less money involved and, and, you know, student loans are getting outrageous. Um, in terms of how, mu how much people have to pay, you know, years and years on. Um, but I think, you know, love of the sport, they want to continue playing. And of course, it doesn't always pan out for them. Um, <clears throat> you know, we bring in, we probably bring in close to 100 football freshmen every year. Um, and a lot of them, you know, in, in fall camp realize that this is something I, I, this is more than I bargained for. 100 freshmen? Like, like first year, every year you bring in 100, like, we brought in a little over a hundred, I think, my first year here. Uh, so it's that, uh, how many people are on the team? Play. No, I I well, know. No, I think but, what, uh, what he's getting at is they wash out because. Well, I get that, but just the first day, what do you have like a hundred and eighty people on the field, like out there? Uh, I think we started with one hundred and seventy-six this fall. <laughs> that must yeah. be like a circus. It's it is it is. I mean, the, the coaches oh. here do a great job. They've got it very well organized. I've got a pretty good process now. 
um, on running them through our beginning of year stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to fit. It's hard to fit them all in the weight room. Um, we actually, I actually start uh, during summer or during preseason camp in August, we start all of our freshmen in the gym, not the weight room, but the gym, uh, because we'll do our first two weeks with dowels and PVC sticks um, and take them through circuit stuff. Um, because, because there's so much uh, or everything they can, everything that I give them in the summer is optional for them. It's voluntary. I don't know who's done it and who hasn't. And technically I can't check on them. So <clears throat> on the, on erring on the side of doing as little damage as possible, um, we start everything off with, with body weight circuits in the gym, um, and technique movements, um, for about two weeks before I ever let them come in the weight room. And by, by that time we've pared it down enough that I can usually fit, um, the whole squad of, of first year athletes in the weight room. But it's uh, I wouldn't say it's a circus, but it's definitely it's a monster to deal with. But like I said, between um, our great football staff, who've really got a good system down and me learning the ropes really fast, um, it works out pretty well. Um, you know, we, we usually get to season and have somewhere between 130 and 140 athletes uh, on the football team. How many um uh, like what's the average size? I mean, I would, like you said, 178. So there were 78, I guess you could say returning players. And then you add yeah, another hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, um, I think right now we have about 86 people that did spring testing, um, for our football returners. Um, and that doesn't include four or five people that had, uh, injuries that couldn't participate in the testing yet. So, that's usually what, about what we're down to. Um, but like I said, the, the football program here at Emory and Henry is, it's, it's well known. It's got a great following. So, you know, we get a lot of kids that coming out of high school that, uh, you know, maybe their uncle played here or their dad played here um, or their brother played here or a cousin played here. Uh, we actually get quite a few kids uh, who are specifically looking to play football at Emory and Henry, which is, you know, it's, it's really cool for a division three to be that well known um, for that program. Do you participate in the recruiting process at all? I know you're coaching track. Do you get to go out and seek kids, or do you have a, a, a spiel, a speech ready for when a recruit comes and tours the weight room? Or Absolutely. A, or a special T-shirt? Well, uh, Benny Wiley? Uh, Texas uh, role model and his mentor. <laughs> uh, oh, I didn't mean to laugh that hard. Uh, used to have a special T-shirt, you know, three sizes too small, that he would throw on when the recruits showed up. So I just was Depending on the recruit. So, I mean, Tex, don't you have, like, a special T-shirt that you put on when the recruits come? Uh, 100%. And to clean up and reference for interns, I use the term stolen from Benny Wiley, recruit ready. Mm -hmm. So our weight room at Power Athlete HQ needs to be recruit ready for when we have a guest and tours around the campus. Mm -hmm. So I, I did learn one thing. It's great. Sorry, burn. Burn, burn bands back on. Why fives? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I definitely have a spiel ready to go. Um, we, I might learn five minutes before a recruit comes in for most teams or, or a small group of recruits. They might, coaches might let me know. I try to, I ask them to give me at least 24 hours notice so I can make sure they're not coming in when we have a team in here and I can actually talk to them. You know, are they going to get the full, the full, uh, the full speech because they're a top priority recruit or are they going to get kind of the quick and dirty, um, one? I, I like to be prepared with both just in case. Uh, with our football team, uh, because we do get so many, so many recruits, um, 
throughout the fall and throughout uh, part of the spring semester, we actually bring them in on Saturdays and they'll get, you know, 15, 20 minutes in the weight room to uh, hear, hear my speech, look around, um, ask me questions. Um, so I, I try to be, I don't do any off-campus recruiting uh, right now. Um, our track and field program is pretty small. It, we just restarted it three years ago. Um, so I don't do a lot of recruiting for that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I try to keep our, our weight room recruit ready all the time. I mean, like I said, it's our campus fitness center. So I actually have a staff of about 24 students that I manage um, who manage the, the whole weight room and have different duties, um, cleaning duties and organizational duties by shift. Um, but I try to tell our coaches that strength and conditioning should be um, a huge part of an athlete's life, should always be a huge part of their life for, for four, five, six years, however long they're here. And that's not just in the weight room. You know, we work with them on nutrition. We work with them on recovery, sleep, um, whatever I can help them to be better at that will improve their performance. I want to help with that. So I tell all of our coaches, even if it's a mid-range recruit, like you kind of want the kid, uh, bring them by. Even if it's last minute, even if I'm working with a team, I'll try to slip over and, and uh, say a few words to them, see if they have any questions. Um, and I really feel that the more informed they are about the strength and conditioning process and our department here, the way we do things, it helps them make a better choice. And, uh, you know, there's undoubtedly some cases where that helped to tip their decision. You know, here in this, at this rural college, we see, I see everything. I see athletes that have never touched a bar, a plate or a kettlebell in their life. And we've got kids that come in that had a private strength coach for the last three years, getting them through, you know, their high school days. Um, and we have to be able to accommodate all of them. So when I give my speech, uh, particularly, you know, I, I really enjoy it when the parents are here because I can talk to them about their concerns as well. You know, and some of the things I point out are how our program's designed, how it meets the needs and it's individualized for all of our athletes, um, what a training session is like, what we'll require of them, what they're going to get out of it. But I also try to tie it in for the parents into how strength and conditioning helps with uh, injury reduction because nobody wants to come to college and be injured for four years and how the strength and conditioning program ties into athletics as a whole and helps to enhance their overall student athlete experience for the entirety of their career here. Um, and I get a lot of, a lot of, you know, head nodding going on when I talk about that part from the parents. So to me, I think strength coaches absolutely should be a part of the recruiting process because they can be that, that final uh, way to seal the deal for the athlete or to reassure the, the parents that their, their student athletes going to be looked after in more ways than just, killing in the weight room, you know? Um, and if you, if you compare that, a, a strength coach is willing to put in the time and talk to every single recruit that comes in, compare that to a school where they might have, you know, an assistant sport coach who's also the strength coach um, that's, you know, running half a program. I, I would find it much more reassuring to have two people who are actually overseeing the strength conditioning program at all times for the best interest of the student athletes. You know, if I were a parent uh, that had a kid looking at a college, that would, that would definitely you know, be a gold star for me. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about, you got the kind of the, this spectrum of student athlete coming in, people who've never seen touched or whatever the equipment. And then you got like the highly trained. Um, one thing we, we work with a, a population of coaches and we focus on specifically the development of like that 14 year old, both of your development of a 14 to 18 year old athlete. And one of the biggest gifts you can give them is this thing that we call our base level of strength, 
which exceeds beyond just the the training response of strength, that physical performance trait, but mostly yeah. is like as much mindset as it is an, an awareness in a gym we call it trainability, like a high level of trainability so that when you hand this athlete off to their next strength coach, there is no like, oh God, what did I just get? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. So with that said, I mean, when you do have a kid who's totally switched on, what type of training system do they come from typically? Well, uh, in all honesty, I think high school strength and conditioning is probably the fastest growing sector of strength and conditioning in America, uh, which is great because um, I think if you really, if you really pare it down and look at where it's most essential, it's with those athletes that, you know, are still in their very formative years and helping them to develop not just their athleticism, but their athletic knowledge and trainability, as you said, um, and their, their overall idea of fitness, because most high schoolers won't go on to play college sports. You know, so if, if you have a strength coach at a high school, um, you know, statistics show the school on average, not just the students, but the staff tend to be healthier at that school just by having that knowledgeable professional on staff. Um, and I think it's a really, a really great thing when a school a high school can employ a, a full-time strength coach to help about those things. For me, you know, I see everything from, I've, I've had freshmen step in, uh, you know, I've, we've had, we just finished last week, we just finished our spring testing for football and uh, we had a really great uh, recruiting class for freshmen this year. We had, I think we had three freshmen that back squatted over 500 pounds, which for a D3 is pretty good. Um, and, uh, you know, they just came in with pretty good technique. So I was able to advance them along a little faster. Now, the way our program works is <clears throat> in May, uh, usually late May, once all our students, student athletes have deposited all the incoming athletes, I'll send them out a, a packet for the summer that covers uh, weight room, speed, agility, energy system training, nutrition, flexibility, mobility. It's all in this packet. Um, and it's very remedial. It's, it's uh, uh, take off on the yes, it's one by 20 system. And it, you know, the, the high number of reps per set um, helps to strengthen um, your soft tissues, uh, tendons and ligaments a little bit more than if I were to give them, you know, like a five by five program. So right off the bat, we're addressing more of the injury potential or the injury likelihood and trying to bring that, that likelihood down. Once they get on campus, um, we have a, uh, and of course that, that one by 20 program progresses over the summer, but it progresses from, you know, we'll start with a body weight or a kettlebell um, or a, a goblet squat. We'll take it to a front squat, with light weight. And of course, you know, your football guys that have been lifting with their football team, it's going to be super easy for them. But I, you know, I, I try to reassure them that it's all process, trust in it. When they get on campus, we have a block zero program that we put them through for six to eight weeks that builds onto that. We learn all the technique. They don't touch a bar, like I said, for the first two weeks. Um, and every two weeks, uh, we focus on a different, uh, a different muscle action. So the first two weeks, we're going to focus on eccentric. So they're really learning, uh, increasing the groove and learning the movement. We focus on isometrics for the next two weeks so they can focus on keeping a good position uh, at the bottom position or at the top position, wherever it may be. And then at the end of that, um, those first uh, two phases, then we start letting them load the bar up a little bit. And it's, it, it's, it can be frustrating for a lot of our um, more physiological and uh, developed and experienced athletes. But what I've found is uh, our athletes going into, particularly our, our fall sport athletes going into spring testing, have a very solid base of training and we're getting our athletes stronger in that first year by not giving them something that kind of blast, blast the doors off or 
uh, over the summer. So, you know, as, as you guys know, laying that foundation is super important. Um, and starting with the body weight movements, the correct movements and, and giving them good materials to learn. Uh, hopefully once they get on campus, we'll be able to, to skip them through pretty quick. Follow-up question. Have you ever had to pull a kid back? And I mean by they're going hard, they're going heavy, but that deadlift or that squat just looks awful. So Absolutely. how do you take on this not very coachable athlete? I've, I've actually had a couple of those here, um, and it's a tough discussion to have, um, particularly with your super motivated athletes that may not be aware of the developmental process. They just think you slap as much weight on the bar as you can, and you max out every time you're in here. And wherever they got that from, for whatever reason, um, it's an educational experience, and it also comes back to building relationships. You know, the, the best thing I've found is to pull them aside and explain to them why we're doing what we're doing, how it helps them develop over time, and, you know, how, uh, how the bad technique is going to directly influence injury rates, you know, and, and you know, you can continue doing that, and hell, hell if you want to come in and you want to do your crappy deadlifts on your days off, I can't stop you. You know, but when you get hurt, I'm also going to be the first person there saying, here's what we're going to do to get you back on track once you're released from athletic training. And now you're going to have to do my process because you can't do what you were doing before. Um, so one way or another, they learn. Um, and it's tough, you know, it's, you know, egos, testosterone, you want to get after it. And I, you know, I totally understand that. Um, but, but one of the things I try to set from the get-go with our athletes coming on campus is this is all a process. It's a one-year process, a two-year process, a three-year process, and a four-year process. And uh, some, some weeks, some days, you'll be further ahead in the process, and sometimes we're going to pull it back, and you're going to be back a little bit in the process, whether it's for an injury or, you know, your technique's not up to par. We need to work on some accessory stuff, so make sure you can support um, the weight at this level. Um, it happens all the time, especially, you know, especially with our male sports. Um, it's not uncommon for our football guys, our baseball guys to just want to get after it. Um, but through developing those relationships and, and hopefully getting a, a high amount of trust in us from the athlete, we usually don't have too many problems with telling them, hey, we're going to back it down today because we got to make sure that's dialed in. And once you're really dialed in, you're going to blow right through the point where you're at now. The, the beauty of this level is you get guys for four years. So you have the opportunity to develop them versus one or done or two and done and then yeah. fizzle out because some rock star comes in or just the sport demand is not up to their ability. Mm -hmm. The uh, How about I, I've still keeping good contact with my old sport coach and he said one of the biggest things that changes for kids is a lot of the freshmen that he gets coming in, they get pissed about playing time. So there's an expectation oh, yeah. that, you know, big, big fish, small pond, then you're coming in with other pretty good fish, but you're not the best on the team. So how is that? Have you had to step in and have those conversations with kids well, where the their expectations takes, are is met? That the, is that the coach lies to them in the recruiting process? You know what? I don't. I, I mean, they always do. Like, I remember I went, oh, yeah, you were going to play. And then I went in there, dude, and these guys are like, you know, grown men with beards and benching 500 pounds. <laughs> and I'm like. Hey, hey, you know, like, <laughs> like, I mean, there, there's like this weird, well, it's different because the D three, there's no grown men with beards. It's just some wiener kids that are 155 pounds. Well, then I don't know what to tell you on that one. Other That's than the fact I'm that like, Mike. It, it just, it, I think expectation comes from the coach. 
and especially in the recruiting process because these coaches oh, yeah, have gotten to the point. Talent, right? Well, I mean, they just fucking lie. Like uh, they're just out there just haphazard. You're going to get a Ferrari when you get here, Johnny. Be good. And then they, and then the kid gets there and he's like, "Where's my Ferrari?" Like we don't have a Ferrari. We don't even have team training mm-hmm. table. And you're going to have to compete for a job. So I think the problem is is instead of like putting their head down, like we're in the uh, like box boy world of like, oh, I'm going to go somewhere else. Hmm. That happens a lot too, especially it's D three level. We'll have athletes that you know come in for their first year and they're like, "Oh, this isn't what I imagined. I'm going to transfer to the D three down the road, you know, somewhere else in the conference." And and what they'll find mm-hmm. is, I, in my experience, I can't say this across the board, but in my experience, if you transfer to another school because you'll get playing time, you're usually transferring to a team that's not as good, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and in, in defense of, I, I totally agree with you, John. A lot of the time it comes down to their expectations that are set during the recruiting process and, and the coaches want to build them up because they, they need to get the numbers at D three we're driven by, you know, uh, large admission rates. You know, we want large teams because that's more tuition money. It's, it's no secret. So a lot of our coaches will try and bring in really large recruiting classes. And at least we can get those kids for a year before some of them leave. So, I wouldn't really say it's underhanded. It's just the way D3 works, um, especially for um, our, our the smaller D3s, the private schools. Um, so a lot of the time they will talk them up to come in. And, and just like with a D1 program, a lot of the time you don't start your freshman year. You don't start your senior year, but you develop so that when you do start, you can have a very large impact. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough. I see a lot of guys, you know, particularly, like I said, with our football numbers, um, we see a lot of talented you know, kids come in to play football that are, it's, this is not what they expected. They thought they were just going to step in and, and, you know, run all over the field or set the record in, in sacks for the season. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's unrealistic expectations of the athletes just as much as well. You know, they think, oh, D3 is going to be easy. D3 can be very cutthroat. You know, our, uh, like I said, our football team has large numbers. Our baseball team has large numbers. You know, we, I think we started fall, fall ball season with 56 guys on our baseball roster. You know, they're not all going to play. Um, we, we tried doing uh, a developmental squad with our underclassmen to help them get better. So <clears throat> it's hard to set the expectation because there's volatility. You never know who's going to return in the fall. Sometimes you never know who's going to be injured, but um, yes. It's, it's also, in my opinion, a lot has to do with pop culture. You know, what they see on Instagram and, and Snapchat. And, you know, they might see two or three freshmen going D1 that, you know, are the starting runner back or the starting pitcher of a D1 team. And just because of, of our instant society and, and our pop culture, um, I think our, our younger athletes are a little bit brainwashed into thinking, oh, that could be me. You know, but you didn't win the genetic lottery. You're going to a D3. You know, you might be really good at a D3. You might develop into an outstanding stud, uh, but you can't have that expectation going in. Absolutely. Well, I think every kid thinks he's like the LSU quarterback. Was it Joe Burrows? Yeah. Uh, where he like, you know, transfers out and goes into the portal and then goes to, you know, LSU and then crushes it. You know, like, I'm the, I'm the next one. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Has there been an evolution on the female sports side of D3? in terms of more capable young women coming in with maybe that have had a little more access to higher caliber coaching or strength coaching? I absolutely think so. You know, it's, and I think a lot of it has to do with, again, coaches becoming more educated, but more high schools uh, getting certified strength coaches, or at least Mm -hmm. coaches that know something about physiological development. 
um, you know, we're, we're seeing some, our coaches at division three, I would say at least here at Emory and Henry are seeing a lot more athletes um, that are at the level they're looking to recruit, you know, whereas maybe a decade ago, you're looking at, uh, well, th these girls are obviously going D1. Um, and then I've got this half a dozen girls for this high school team or these area high school teams that I'm looking at that would fit well with what we're trying to do here. And I think nowadays you get one of the reasons we're getting larger recruiting classes for on the women's sports is because there are so many more um, physiologically advanced females coming out of high school. You know, girls are, are demanding uh, for the, in, in a matter of speaking, they're demanding um, equal coaching to the guys as it should be, you know, uh, we're getting uh, some schools, some high schools are having such demand for strength and conditioning classes that they're having to do men's classes and women's classes um, for their strength and conditioning development, which is really great. You know, um, I think here at Emory and Henry, for the most part, we're getting more and more talented females uh, every year. And whether they're coming from a school that had strength and conditioning or not, I think more of them are buying into um, stre the strength and conditioning process and how it will affect them. Um, you know, and I would even say CrossFit has a huge impact on female strength and conditioning development. When I was at Transylvania, I had a couple female athletes there that are, um, you know, they're for their age group, they're high level CrossFitters, like regionally placing in competitions. You know, we get some of that here at Emory and Henry too, which is, it's really great to see. Um, it's really great to see their, their development as well. Yeah, no, CrossFit is uh, really ramped up, and we've talked about this numerous times on this podcast, really the female development. I mean, the it's pretty interesting when you look at, like, high-intensity interval training and the lactate bathing and all the high-volume stuff, you realize that actually women respond pretty well to, like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, that type of, like, you know, high-volume, high-intensity training. Um, I don't necessarily know if the guys respond to it the same way. I mean, just because, uh, you know, most of the CrossFit guys are five four, 135 pounds. But most of the CrossFit girls are like five six, five seven, buck sixty, buck. You know, I mean, they're big, strong girls. I mean, personally, mm -hmm. I think they're more impressive than any of the dudes. So, I mean, there's something to the training. Absolutely, and if you look a lot of the research in general, it'll show you that women can tolerate uh, higher volumes of training at at slightly more, uh, slightly submaximal loads, where you know men respond better to the higher intensities. And uh, if we're talking about CrossFit, we're talking about lactate threshold. Uh, we're talking about um, submaximal efforts, submaximal yeah. efforts for the yeah. most part, you know, yeah. unless you're doing specialized competitions. So, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's uh, it's always been really interesting physiological just to see the effects. I mean, it's um, it, it's like the same one that Dave Spitza observed uh, based off of girls that do a, a ton of swimming at a young age because the volume is so high that as soon mm -hmm. as they stop swimming and they get into something more strength based, they put on muscle and size and, and are just way more physically impressive. So like that swimming background is huge and it's just, Absolutely. but you can also look at gymnastics. I mean, all of the female gymnasts, um, everything is floor based. I mean, they really only have, I think like two upper body ones with the vault and, uh, obviously the parallel bars or the un uh, uneven bars, whereas Unevens. the guys are all, you know, I think they're only ground based is what the vault and the floor. So, um, just the ability to handle more load in terms of lower body, it's, I mean, it, uh, I think in terms of a training system to like, you know, build like a foundational athletic development for girls, I think it works very well, but I think I don't necessarily think about, uh, like long-term development for guys in terms of like a CrossFit training model, uh, outside of just basically building a GPP block. I mean, we just, we just don't see it that way. So, and we've tested that repeatedly. <laughs> Yeah, Mike, you're pretty active in the coaching community. 
So I see you at the NSCA conferences and you're leading the, the special interest group for collegiate coaches. So explain part of that mission and what you aim to accomplish taking on this voluntary leadership role. It's a great role. I think the SIGs are awesome. Um, it was something I was kind of interested in. So <clears throat> I was kind of, uh, I kind of had no mentors when I was growing up a lot. I didn't do a GA position. I didn't have anybody hand me their template when I was an undergrad or in, in my master's program and say, this is the way I run things. It's run really well for me. And then take that and run with it. I've had to discover all my own stuff. Um, so, you know, uh, for me, it's, it's been, what was the question again? <laughs> what do you, nobody knows. What was your, we don't even, we don't, <laughs> what was your ACT? We don't yeah, even which, know. What's your favorite McQuilkins movie? is over there using big words. <laughs> what's your favorite movie of all time? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, now let's get into some good stuff. Yeah. Um, I think Robin Hood, Men in Tights, anything by Mel oh. Brooks. Oh, pretty good. Oh. Pretty good. question. <laughs> what do you hope to accomplish with your leadership role in the co- college uh, coaches SIG? So you just got to tie it to something like that, like a good movie. Now I'll remember <laughs> Men it. in Tights. Man, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. You know, he We're actually made it. A chew? Well, do you remember he made a, uh, a little known movie that I'm sure they've scrubbed the internet of that was called uh, Zorro the Gay of Blade? <laughs> and it was about a gay Zorro. Uh, Never heard of that. Oh, yeah. It's called Zorro the Gay of Blade. And I remember watching <laughs> it as kids. And uh, Zorro was a total, uh, you know, alternate life. Extremely flamboyant. Like flamboyant Zorro? I think he, that's politically he was, correct. He Is that was, politically correct? Well, like, normally say? Zorro was flamboyant. But this guy was <laughs> super. I, I believe it was like Zorro goes down. They bring in his gay brother who, like, goes and rescues him. And he's Zorro the Gay of Blade. <laughs> Yeah, the Gate Blade. <laughs> and uh, it's a Mel Brooks movie, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Mel Brooks. It was hilarious. Not much Mel Brooks can really, right? probably the, has stood the, the test of time. The hilarious part, though, was we didn't really know what gay was. Oh, yeah. Right. And, uh, like, like, <laughs> like, oh, that's hilarious. What, Your dad's like, what, okay. What year did it come out? Is it 82? 81. Okay. So I was like wow. five years old. Yeah. Like four or five years old. And uh, I remember we watched it. We thought it was hilarious, but we didn't really know like mm-hmm. why this guy. We just knew he... Super flamboyant, and there was all these references. And then years later, I saw it, and I was Zorro like, Zorro really likes to I dance. Was like, He's really good with that sword playing, and they keep talking about all this secret sword playing. It was, you, I can't, you guys have never heard of this, huh? No, that is uh, the internet has been scrubbed of this stuff. No, we'll get it. I got a guy, great ACT score. We're gonna find it. It's, it, it's Mel Brooks. No, who is it? Uh, a lot of it was a team of writers that I haven't really heard of. Oh, uh, okay. But I guess, so, Mike, going back to the question, I mean, anything you want to expound on in terms of um, this leadership role? Yeah, first of all, uh, I apologize to Scott Douglas and Eric McMahon. They're probably going to roast me over the fire for forgetting the question on the SIG. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the the SIGs are really cool because it's, uh, as I was saying before I got, before I blanked, I didn't really have a mentor uh, coming up through the ranks. So, um, I had to go to different sources and, and with the college coaches SIG in particular, um, we try to supply a, 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 a place where strength coaches experienced or inexperienced can go, inexperienced can go and learn new information. Uh, particularly, we try to build a sense of community, uh, which can be hard to do. You know, um, here at Emory and Henry, uh, the next closest school is uh, uh, East Tennessee State, which is an hour away. You know, there are no other strength coaches in the area you know, that I can just, you know, go have lunch with. <clears throat> so with the college coaches SIG, 
Um, we're trying to provide information and community to our coaches that are mem- that are parts of it um, to where maybe they can go and ask a question like, hey, I was doing uh, I was doing the uh, yo-yo test with my soccer team the other day. I got these scores. How does that compare to your Division three team uh, for those of you that do it? You know, a big thing right now is uh, what are you doing with your teams that can't get to a weight room? How are you doing your body weight programs? Which is a whole other thing I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but the SIGs are a great opportunity for people of similar interest within the field to get together and speak with. And, and they've really been growing since they moved to social media uh, about six or seven years ago. And, and Brian Mann was a big part of that process. Um, he really helped to resuscitate the college coaches SIG. And I was really fortunate to be his co-chair and then step into the chair position once his term was over. Um, and, you know, it's for me, it's a it's a labor of love um, and, and one that comes from my experience of having to try to figure out where to go to get the information I needed to advance my career. Um, so so one thing I try to do is, you know, we have a Facebook page um, and we try to make everybody let them know that this is a, it's a professional thing. You know, we're not doing self-promotion. Um, we're not trying to to sell things on here. But if you legitimately want help or legitimately want to discuss something within the field, um, bring it up here. Let's talk about it. We've got over 4,000 members on the Facebook page. Um, so it's a great place uh, where you can, I mean, you can tag, you know, high level strength coaches that are members and, and with any luck, you get a reply from them on maybe how specifically they do something or, um, you know, we've had, we actually, we encourage uh, sports scientists as well to be a part. Um, you know, Brian Mann did a great job of incorporating a lot of um, research information into the SIG and disseminating that research information. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we've had a lot of people, in my experience, since I took over as chair, I've had, you know, a half a dozen or so uh, sports scientists ask if they can um, put up a survey uh, for research they're doing uh, for their PhD or you know, their thesis on this or that. So it's really great to see the, the science side of things um, as a part of the SIG as well, because it, it kind of covers uh, the practical application and the research side um, as well, you know, the field should, you know, all of our coaches should have have experience in both to, to really uh, enhance what they're doing. Um, and, and the NSCA has done a really good job of making it available uh, and making it, a, you know, I think a welcoming place, uh, whether it's the weightlifting SIG, the baseball SIG or the college coaches SIG, you know, you really, our strength coaches have somewhere to go to, to discuss with people that they may not otherwise have access to. And uh, let's, let's get into quickly on what you're giving your athletes in this time where they are quarantined, self-quarantined, <clears throat> and what, what's some chatter on that Facebook group? Uh, new posts every day. And uh, it, it's interesting to see the way co- coaches are approaching it. Um, there's only so much body weight stuff you can do, you know, before it kind of gets monotonous. And it really, I, I think it's an, an interesting time to be in collegiate strength and conditioning or strength and conditioning in general with, with so many gyms that aren't able to, to open their doors right now. It's really focus, forcing us to think outside the box. You know, um, what if you can't add 5% to your squat this week? You know, what if you can't go to, up to a three rep max and then do some back off sets today at the bench? Um, you know, what are the other variables that you can, you can really focus on, uh, improving, um, when you don't have access to a real gym? Um, it's, it's been really interesting, you know, um, I've been collecting resources on it and trying to think about, um, you know, my, my spring season teams, there's a slim chance that we might come back and maybe have some competitions at the end of the semester, very slim chance. So, 
do you continue training them as you would um, normally? Um, do you, you know, what kind of emphasis do you give to them? And, uh, you know, I, I think one, one thing we see a lot of people doing now, um, and I'm not saying strength coaches in general, but there's a lot of rush to put out um, hit programs and um, general fitness programs, which is great. You know, um, one thing we want to do is keep our athletes in, in at least good athletic shape, <clears throat> but we can still also be focusing on some of the, especially for the teams that may have competitions left, we can still be focusing on the things um, that are going to be most important for them. You know, for, um, for our spring sport athletes, uh, we know that you can maintain uh, a baseline of strength for, you know, two to three weeks before you start seeing a decrement, but neural adaptations will start to drop off after seven or eight days. If you're, if you're not hitting them consistency or consistently. Um, so a big thing that our athletes that may still have competitions in their future should be doing regularly is still doing some kind of, um, power speed explosive work so they can maintain as much of that neural adaptation that they've gained over the last six, seven, eight months. Um, so they can maintain as much as possible with the hopes of coming back and still having competition, you know, for our athletes that, that may be our fall sport athletes, you know, this is a great time for them where they should be building a lot of strength and a lot of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, should be building a lot of work capacity as well. Well, strength, um, in terms of absolute strength may not quite be possible right now if you don't have any equipment or you don't have access to a gym, but we can sure do a lot to work on that work capacity. So there are still specific things we can do for their, for our programming. We can look at other variables as far as uh, loading goes and, and the volume of training, um, the, the speed of movements, um, as well as um, lost it. I lost it. I don't know what I was going to say. Um, but there's, there's still very tempos. That's the other thing I was going to say. We can do a lot of work with tempos right now. So <clears throat> I think an error right now with our, with our athletes would be to give them an umbrella fitness program. Like here's your non-focused workout of the day. Like that's, that's great for a baseline, but as strength and conditioning coaches, we can still do more by changing variables. We may not focus on as much and making them more upfront, you know, maybe, Maybe this week we do uh, this type of hit circuit and we use this type of tempo um, and we take this type of rest period between lifts or between circuits or, or what have you. And then next week um, we up the ante. We increase the intensity uh, by making the tempos a little bit harder or making the rest periods a little bit shorter. Um, so there's still some things we can do to give our athletes more specific training than just here's a body weight thing you can do today. Here's a body weight thing you can do today. Um, here's a body weight thing to do tomorrow that's, that's going to keep them in shape, uh, but maybe not uh, as specific as it could be. Yeah, we're leaning on the cinder block pretty hard in mm -hmm. Third Monkey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that. That's those are a pretty cool program you guys are putting out. Yeah, and I, I'm starting to think too. Like when you're talking about tempo. Yeah, yeah I wrote that ratchet, down. If you ratchet up your eccentric tempo, you ultimately increase your reversal force. Like what Cal Dietz was talking about, why he would have dudes do like 20% of their one RM bench, but still produce like similar amounts of force out of the amortization phase. Well, that, I mean, right? that's... By pulling that down into the oh, chest, remember? Yeah. Uh, so how could we replicate well, that for trained athletes do... on lower leg is like a depth jump, like a loaded depth jump. Now, from what height? I don't know, maybe eight inches, but... No, I don't know if I would do that with a loaded deal, but like you could put them in like a top position of a Bulgarian split squat, have them hold like a, a center block, and then have them like race to the bottom to hold. Well, mm -hmm. We got our jam squats. Yeah, we got jam squats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could do that. 
Uh, I, I also like the idea of um, throwing in some tempoed uh, eccentric stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if this is light and you can't find a way to load it, I want a 10 count down. And then, uh, and then that's increasing time under tension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, kind of like we talked about earlier when we were talking about CrossFit um, increasing work capacity, you know, inevitably, if your athletes are done for the season and they can't get to a weight room, they're going to lose strength right now. But what we can focus on is maybe increasing their work capacity during this period. And then once they're able to get back to a weight room, they theoretically should be able to, to regain that strength a little bit quicker because their work capacity is higher. So they can do more of the heavy weights than if they were severely detrained. Well, I mean, we've seen, um, you know, if you want to be good at lifting heavy weights, you have to be in shape. I mean, or, you know, if it takes you 10 minutes to recover in between sets, you're not going to be able to get the volume of work. So, I mean, we've been... Um, what about I, between reps? I've done like a three minutes between reps type of fitness level. Well, you're scoring four on all of your workouts because you are <laughs> encouraging the shit out of our intern. That's right. I'll do like a half rep and then go help the intern for 20 minutes so I can catch my breath. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so you're helping the intern to try to derail your workouts. No, not derail, but re-rail. I mean, it's complicated, John. You wouldn't get it. Yeah, so there's advanced. lots of ins, <laughs> lots of outs. Lots of, lots of what have you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know what else we, man, we should talk about? Is there a way, I guess kids are probably quarantined on their own though, right? People. But manual resistance to some plyometric stuff, but no, we gotta have uh, social distancing. So I don't mm-hmm. know who's gonna do the manual resistance. If uh, you're, if you're parents, parents hold hold up. Hey ma, uh, hey, ma. <laughs> can you hit me on MR butterfly? And well, <laughs> one of the rules of manual resistance is don't be a jerk. Uh-huh. So if we like pit brothers and sisters together, <laughs> it's I'm, unlikely they're gonna break that rule. Yeah, part of our training, Mike, is uh, in terms of a partner or team environment will will force eccentrics in certain patterns, like through mm-hmm. AB and adduction yeah. uh, on the lower body. The idea is that... Uh, some, dy- some dynamic work, but you need a partner who kind of knows what they're doing and a relatively trained and responsible athlete. So the idea is that you fatigue neuromuscular pathways and then force them to do something dynamic to find new ways of doing it and creating new, new bridges. And um, I remember yeah. years ago, we read some really interesting research where they... Uh, I think it was like in World War One, World War Two, or Korea. They were had these like uh, fighter pilots that were doing on these long distance uh, flights. So they were in there for like eighteen hours, and they were you know losing muscle mass and were running into problems. And especially, I remember within the legs, and they figured out this kind of um, manual resistance protocols, and they stopped losing muscle and they continued to gain strength. And it was all based off of that fatiguing neuromuscular pathways, and that forced them to find something dynamic. So we put it into the training, uh, just as um, you know, change of stimulus, and to really help mm-hmm. um, kind of assess imbalances and fix some stuff. So it's been very mm-hmm. positive. Yeah. It's like I said, different, different, uh, variables that, that you can figure into program. They may not have quite a precedent in your day-to-day programming and, you know, normal times, um, can be a different focus right here. And, and that's actually really interesting. I'll have to look into that because that, mm-hmm. that would definitely, uh, that might also def, uh, show, uh, or be a, uh, something that would keep things fresh for the athletes too. Cause you know, body weight stuff is going to get a little stale after a while. So if you can introduce something like that, that's a little bit more of a challenge. You know, athletes want to compete. That could definitely mm-hmm. be something to keep them interested. Yeah, there's an element of that. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of different <laughs> angles and new things. I mean, you can isolate the hip and the glute and, um, you know, there's just a million different a variations. Tip anterior. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah I remember that. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll shoot some. We have plenty of videos in our catalog. Mike, I'll, I'll follow up with, um, with those. And most of them are instructional because we're handing it off to teams and athletes so then we walk through it versus just having a, a video yeah, demo. Eight second clip. So it's like it's mostly for athletes that need that coaching and guidance. Um, awesome. What, 
So here's a question. Have you had a conversation one-on-one with a senior that got their, their season taken away? Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, I've got a shot putter or a thrower right now on my track team who technically still had two years of eligibility um, for track and field. Um, you know, it's <clears throat> excuse me. This this situation we're going through right now in the country is going to pose interesting situ- follow up situations for years to come. Right. So if we look at it from the D3 level, if you uh you know, the NCAA may allow blanket waivers for athletes to come back, spring sport athletes who weren't able to finish their season to come back and participate for another year. If Johnny was able to do that and come back and be a fifth-year senior, does Johnny have to be enrolled full-time, right? If Johnny's enrolled full-time, does he have to pay full tuition, right? Because they're unless the NCAA changes the eligibility requirements to participate, participate in a sport. Now, if Johnny's coming back for another year and he has to pay tuition, by the time spring rolls around, his grace period for repayment on his student loans will be up and he'll have to start repaying student loans unless the NCAA works out something with loan companies to make that a longer grace period. Yeah. And then you get into, um, well, won't Johnny have to be working a full-time job to be able to play that, to pay off his student loans? Well, he can't do full-time school, full-time job and a sport you know, all at the same time. So that's going to be, that in and of itself is going to be a really interesting situation. And that's just at the small school level, if, because we don't do athletic scholarships. Now, if you think about the D1 level where they might have 17 scholarships for a team, what happens if um, Johnny's, Johnny the senior scholarship was supposed to be taken by Jimmy, the incoming freshman, and now Johnny's he's going to come back for that one more year of baseball. And he's going to, does he maintain his scholarship? You know what I mean? So there's, it's 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 going to be very interesting and very frustrating um, across the board uh, for all the situations that this is going to pose for NCAA athletics. Well, I mean, uh, it's just my kids here in Texas. They have the star test, which is like how they do their placements and um, oh, yeah. you know funding and all the other stuff. Re- I did read that. They're, uh, white, they're yeah, this year they're cutting it, right? Yeah, they're cutting it. So like uh, our kids are supposed to go back to school April fifth, I think, but they're you know they're going to miss a month. I mean. Um, yeah, so I mean, like I've already uh, th- this is their spring break this week, so I'm not hammering them hard. They only have to read like an hour a day, and then we have to like play cards and work on numbers. Next Monday starts this full curriculum that I've uh, I've started putting together. It's gonna be nice. awesome. That's yeah, great. I I gave my old sport coach a call today just to catch up because this happened and he had to have that. What do that you do when you, you call conversation? Me? He's like, oh, this fucking McQuilkin guy. Uh, we actually got along great. So he took over the team. I had two head coaches in college. He took over 28 years old, coaching a bunch of 21-year-olds. Huh. So, And I was the captain, oh. one of a three captains. So, And then I coached with him for three years. So, so pretty he good. totally hates your guts. Pre- no, actually, I'm probably the only guy on our team, from our team, that still gets along with him. But um, so we had this conversation, and then we were just discussing the the – the ripple effect, the reverberation. He wasn't too concerned about seniors coming back because like they, they would have to pay for that extra year. As you discussed, yeah. he was more worried about the, the families of the committed freshmen because Marymount is a private school. So not like a state school like Christopher Newport, who also has a football team, but we're talking relatively cheap Virginia State School that's got an awesome facilities. So the kids can transfer there in a competitive lacrosse program as well. So he's worried about losing these recruits to these state schools in Maryland 
Stevenson University, a, a state school. And so that was the biggest thing, but also his recruiting, because now he goes and has summer lacrosse all over Colorado, all over the East Coast, but all those tournaments are canceled. Mm-hmm. So now it's incoming freshmen as well as rising seniors that he would recruit rising juniors and seniors. So he's just seeing an impact, especially as a private school that mm-hmm. costs some money to go to. So he's a little bit worried about that. So it's more, I guess he was long-term thinking than getting one or two guys back as mm-hmm. seniors. Yeah, I think ultimately we won't see a huge influx or a huge amount of seniors taking that, that waiver and getting an extra season. Um, but that's an interesting point you bring up. Uh, I was talking with one, of our sport, with one of our sport coaches the other day. A lot of spring sport athletes in high school won't get the exposure to, right. to scouts right now. Um, and this coach told me that he's actually seeing a spike, um, a small spike, but a spike nonetheless in commits right now because there are athletes um, who know they're not going to be seen by scouts and may not have another, may not have any other offers um, in the foreseeable future. So they're committing right now um, so they can have their bases covered. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of when uh, you were, you were talking about the the high school lax game you were at last week, where like these kids were out there. Oh yeah, this is a cool thing, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll let you take it. It's your story. So, Mike, I was coaching middle school l- lacrosse this year, and it's part of a whole program. So it's still a club sport in Texas. So the same coaches as high school and middle, and running the same system. So the coaches canceled our middle school practice and told all the parents to bring your kids to the high school game because they knew it was the final game of the year. But, and the, one of the fathers on the team is also coaching the middle school team. So we were sitting together and he knew the news. He didn't tell his son who was a senior on the team. This was the last game because he didn't know if the coach had relayed this information and turned out they they uh, they didn't. So they were playing this final game, and I was curious, like, hey, would I want to know? Mm-hmm. Right, is right. this my final game, or just go in and try to try I to think play you our never heart? Never know out. when your final game. But it was like, an amazing game. Lake but, Travis dripping double overtime, but it was a loss. Like I, I, I still think on like um, if I had no like like when I got uh, the last game I played with the Patriots when I got hurt. Like if I if you had told me that was my last game. Like uh, there's no fucking way I would have believed it, and then mm-hmm. I look back and I'm like, fuck. I mean, would it? Yeah. But I mean, I I I think in life you don't get to pick and choose those things. You just have to go out and you know, and that's yeah. why they always say, hey, treat this everyone like it's well, your it's last, which is such Dan a fucking Fouts bullshit. And Waterboy. bullshit. <laughs> it's the last game of the season. Johnny can't hold anything back. <laughs> yeah, he's like, ah. but like the it, it's a it's a bullshit analogy, but it's so true because I mean, like you think about this, man, like. Um, I remember somebody saying, like, you never know when the last time you do something. Like, and it, it's hindsight. Like, think about, like, the last time you strapped up football pads. Did you think that was the last time you ever going to strap up football pads? You know, think about the last time you saw somebody or the mm-hmm. last time you lifted, you know, like, there's people like the last time you lifted weights or this. I mean, all of these things go into play. And I think age gives you perspective to 100%. look back and be like, you know what? I need to take joy in this because this might be the last time. Well, and Mike, I know you've seen this at the college level, the freshman that kind of blows off workouts, but then by the time they're a senior, they're all in with the training. Oh, yeah. So that's it's yeah. But that's why it's different. Like this situation, it's 
no, you're done. Just everything's mm-hmm. taken away from you outside yeah. of your control. If you would have told me two weeks ago that, uh, that the whole country would be quarantined, that they stopped playing Same. sports, and Tom Brady was going to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, yeah. I would have fucking... Take odds on that. No yeah, way. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I, for Tampa, it was 15 to 1. So Yeah, but I mean, Bruce, Ar- uh, Bruce Arians but was... But all of those things, Tex, combined. I mean... Oh, the odds on that? No. Uh, I, it was funny. I, I talked to Rob Wolf as I was coming back from PT today, and uh, we were just kind of like, he, you know, Rob is by far one of the smartest people I know, and he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know what to think. I just hope for the... for the health of America and sports and these kids in school. Cause I knew we were coming on this podcast. We were going to discuss it. Um, I hope we can just fucking get done with this thing and get back to like yeah. some semblance of normalcy because, uh, like, uh, you know, I like, as I, you know, I think people look at things or at least we do, you know, just kind of like, Hey, how does this affect me? Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, okay. But then all of a sudden I'm thinking like, what about all these kids at school? What about these kids that are like, in law school or these other, um, you know, graduating and this that are at these like pivotal moments in this spring semester where like, Hey, uh, if I don't, if, if I don't execute here, I don't graduate. Yeah. And you're just and, distracted by, yeah. And I'm paying 50 grand a year to go to this school yeah. and this, and now all of a sudden you're telling me I got to come back and pay again. What if I, what if I'm t- like you said, what if I'm taking loans? What if, uh, I'm in New York city and like my apartment is up, like they, there's so many pieces to this. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, they'll end up doing kind of what the military did with a, a conditioning test where the tail wags the dog. They'll just be like, sorry, fuck but off. You brought an interesting point. I talked to one of my old teammates because meatpacking play in Boston. Boston shut down. He's going through all some crazy stress. And then Tom Brady leaves the team. So he like <laughs> called me on the worst day of his life on St. Patrick's Day oh. for business and his team. Oh, uh, but, uh, TC is like, I think he's hasn't come out of his hole yet. But the... Uh, one of the points we were talking about is we were catching up on school and athletics and he was saying like if he was still stuck with this $40,000 a year and then everything's online class and you're still held to the same standard, he'd be like, no, I'm not, I'm not paying. Yeah. Screw you school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought, man, I don't know. Well, I mean, um, I hate to say it, but, uh, it's very difficult in a country, just in general, to have something like a school, which is a for-profit, like granting people continuing education. And the idea is like, well, you're going to take this degree and go out and get a job and I'm not going to get paid any residuals. So I'm going to juice you on the front end. But if you see the way these enrollments and like the uh, tuitions are going, like it's such a weird deal. Like how, uh, like how are you creating higher centers of learning that their primary objective is a for-profit center? Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't make sense to me. And so like, I, I look at the model as being a broken model because all they're doing is like, well, um, everything's going up. And now the problem is, is that the tuitions are going up dramatically faster than inflation is going up. I mean, it's like, like the, uh, and, and I only know this cause I, I sat with my financial guy and we were doing all these calculations based off of like what college is supposed to, you know, in 10 years when my daughters are 18 years old, what's college going to be worth? And then you're looking at like uh, Purdue, which is an interesting one, has not increased their tuition. They're still like holding, they're like eight to 10 grand a year. Are they public or uh, private? I think they are private, but what they've done is their president doesn't want to price themselves out of the market. Uh, you look at like the state schools in California. I mean, you go through all these different places and these, the, the, because the tuitions are reasonable they've become ultra competitive mm-hmm. you know but now i mean so the uh, girls are going to purdue no they'll go to somewhere and, and uh, i don't well, know well purdue is public purdue. so my interesting and 
Uh, just remember this. In 2008, my brother-in-law got was thinking law school. So in 2008, and then George Mason University is a public school in Virginia. They have one of the best law schools in America. Yeah, the reason being, it's public. So, And he's a Virginia citizen, so all the prices that he would have to pay for that school are so much lower mm-hmm. because it's public. So that was why that is such well, a competitive school. Same with Bolt Hall, which is at Berkeley. I mean, that's a public one. I mean, and, um, you know, that uh, scholarship I applied for to go there, which, you know, fucking fuck that up with 10 years in the NFL. Um, Shoot. Yeah, darn. Uh, but like that type of situation where you have a public university like that and like, you know, one of the premier schools. So I just think it becomes so ultra competitive at that point. Yeah, my brother-in-law didn't get in, by the way, so. <laughs> yeah, got you good, you fucker. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, like, we could sit here probably for the next three days and figure out the ripple effects. Just, uh, I mean, think about seniors in high school, like, trying to graduate to go to college and where their, their um, uh, admissions are contingent upon them graduating. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. or, or uh, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of interesting for football because you think, like, well, you know, the football season's already done, thank God. But... I mean, those kids still are going to have to go to spring ball. And what about all those opportunities? And then you think about the scouting and the coaching. I just hope that uh, this whole thing is like, you know, we pull off the mask and we're like, old man Sanders, you know, and it's like, like a Scooby-Doo ending. Was that a Bernie Sanders burn? No, you don't Ooh. remember. Well, um, yeah, feel the burn. Subconscious burn. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it's funny um, thinking about like uh, socialism. I'm like, oh, you guys go to the market and uh, there's no food on the shelves that's Venezuelan socialism. I'm like, oh, you go to the market, they don't have anything? That's socialism. Mm-hmm. You know? I think it's Conspiracy by Charmin. Ah, Toilet Paper ah. Conspiracy. Now we're talking. C-O-N-spiracy. Is Charmin what? a public company? <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> but here's the thing as a senior in high school. Like, I feel like, when, when, when do kids graduate? Uh, well, here in, in Texas, it's May, but in California, it was Man, June. I was done. Like, I was done by May. I know I had to be at school, but you had but to graduate. I wasn't there. But the well, ceremony yeah. occurred, but I was already out. Like, well, I, I know, but you, you know, still I, have to. Like, I remember, like, uh, I had to graduate. So like, I think I, I don't think an eighteen-year-old kid. Can, man, maybe I'm totally wrong though. I think, uh, but it, there are very. I'm not trying to combat the very real implications for, let's say, hard-charging aspiring athletes who rely on this season to be recognized. Like that does suck. I do think especially for those kids, like even the lax guys, like if they don't get to finish out their season and I don't know, but odds are if they're getting recruited, they were getting recruited last year. Right? Oh yeah. The commits are committed at mm-hmm. this point, but right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You still are missing this opportunity to go out and play with your friends. Sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and like, um, you know, and get some world-class coaching from, you know, mm-hmm. AKA Tex McQuilkin. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, do, have you seen what Tex wears to coach? Uh, does he wear the short shorts? Yes, he does. He, he bought a pair of those uh, uh, bike shorts. Yeah, the bike shorts. Oh, one hundred percent. And polo. John, I finally got it—the performance polo. Oh, and it's tucks it in every single day, and he slicks his hair back and wears uh, aviator sunglasses. Oh, nice, yes. nice. It's a good yeah. look. And I got uh, the playbook. Me, I got sir. The, I got the playbook in my back pocket, but which it's is just, comb. It's one play. <laughs> comb in the back right, playbook <laughs> in the left, uh, back left. Uh-huh. Breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> such a great that's such a great scene like i don't know why we haven't done that for halloween uh, okay it's, I'm in. In. it's on uh <laughs> I, yeah i uh i, I don't know for man. our I, listeners we are referencing the film dazed and confused mm-hmm. that's right one of the best movies ever made it is a good one it's very rewatchable rewatchable mm-hmm. mm. very but 
I don't know. I don't really have anything else. Right. Mike, do you got anything for us? I can talk about anything you guys want. This is awesome. It's it's great to talk to to three people who are uh, into the field and putting out great content. Oh, appreciate that. I got one final question. Uh-oh. No. Yeah. So burn band and burn bands off. Mike, I got burned at a job interview. So I, I won't tell you the university, but it's up north and it's in the Ivy League. And so after three years of Division three and then one year at, at Georgetown, I was starting to applying to to jobs to coach. And I had a person tell me that three that man, I gotta remember it. One year at a division one equals three years coaching at a division three. And I was like, man, you got no idea about the mm-hmm. what is available at a division three and the mm-hmm. effort that it takes to coach there. So it's almost the reverse where one year coaching 28 teams at a division so three. What you're saying is that coaching at a D three team is like coaching in dog years compared it's to a division. 100% <laughs> accelerates yeah. your ability because you yeah. don't have the facilities, the resources, and you get three to 10 X the number of athletes. Cause at D one, you got one, two, three teams to worry about. And here you got 28 teams you know, 15 to 40 plus with football. I didn't have football, but 15 plus to worry about, to assess, to progress, to coach, to encourage and program for over a four year developmental period that I, it's just burned to me. I would agree. I think, I think, I think D one and D three in some terms can't be compared. There's certain things you're going to get at a D one that you're not going to get at D three. You know, a lot of D three strength coaches, Uh, can't travel. So they don't know the road game. You know, a lot of D3 strength coaches um, can't get as much time with the teams as they want. So their programming has to be a little bit different, but you're right with, you have to be more resourceful. You have to be more creative. You have to be more efficient. You know, like I said, one of the, one of my biggest things is coming up with a training system. That's very efficient, not just for me. So I don't have to spend days on end writing up the program or, or making tweaks on it. um, But also for my athletes, you know, I may only get to see them for, some of our teams uh, during season can only come in for 45 minutes a week. So it's got to be something that will be efficient for them. It gives them the best bang for their buck, but also accomplishes um, as much of what I need to accomplish for their good as possible. And I really think that there's a lot of extra responsibility at the D3 level, uh, because a lot of the time uh, you're working multiple positions. You have much more responsibility. I'm, I'm the head strength coach, the fitness center director, and uh, we have exercise science as a, as a four-year program now. So I have to schedule our classes to come in um, in accordance to and around our teams that are using the weight room. I'm also the throws coach on the track team. You know, so, so there's a lot of things that I have to juggle that I wouldn't have to if I were in a D1. Now, if I was at a D1, um, I might have more opportunity to hire level athletes and be able to write some higher level, more intricate programming. Um, wouldn't necessarily have to, in my opinion. Um, I would also have more experience uh, as an assistant, maybe dealing with uh, budgets and equipment use, maybe some higher end equipment like uh, VBT um, using gym aware or something like that. So there's, there's, there's upsides and downsides to both, but I'll, I mean, maybe it's my bias coming from a, a small school background uh, text. I'll agree with you hundred percent. I think one year D three is like three years of D one. You have to, you have to really, put a lot of yourself into it and learn on the go and sometimes uh, make up what's best for the situation uh, that you're presented with. And it, it really accelerates 
not just your knowledge of strength and conditioning, but how to coach, how to manage, how to run a department um, more so than, than you might get at a, a D1 school. Can't we all just get along, Tex? Why does it have to be? Why are you driving wedges <laughs> between people? Why are you oh. driving a wedge in there? There's a lot of. He's got a big chip on his shoulder. It's usually called. You know, the, it's, John, it's called the Division Three chip. Are you saying John 100%. came Hundred percent. John was D one athlete. Yeah. I was D one caliber. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? You got you got this thing going. No, you're North Central, <laughs> uh, not state national champion. champs. National champion. That's right. That's right. Could have been if I just stayed for two decades. Well, you should have gone back. You're, you still have eligibility. <laughs> it's not yeah, too late. Yeah, you could, That's you, true. Go get back that presidential scholarship. Take, retake the ACT. Did you have to, you give need that to a, retake the ACT and go Did you uh, have to give the scholarship back? Uh, no, they gave that. It was a gift, John. No. <laughs> it's coming I, with me. I just didn't know if they were, you know, you did some no. weird stuff, like had a, you know, Connie Zenos had to help you out of anything. No, I was an exemplary student, but I wouldn't, I would say academically. Uh, but then there was this kind of social layer Morally. of college that I didn't, I would say, the, the administration wouldn't wouldn't claim I thrived positively in the social component of university. Uh, uh. Um, they would probably say it's more destructive than constructive to the, the decentral culture of North Central College. But I made a lot of great friends doing it that We're, you've had plenty of airtime with, and they're great. <laughs> what's funnier is, or the, the funny part is, Texas uh, has more friends from North Central College than... That's right. ...than he does from his own college. I don't know. I disagree true. about that, but... Yeah, they're still a great time. <laughs> not, not like those other nerds. Yeah, not those nerds from Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bunch mm-hmm. of dorks. Yeah, so uh, Mike, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll fast track this. Story goes, I, was, I went in to play football at North Central College, and um, there was no Greek life there. So the sports ultimately were the, like, clicks. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, neck injury sidelined me, and I got offered a job on the athletic training staff, which I said, no. I mean, I guess I could have done that in hindsight and still be involved. I, but I was like, Fuck, no, you know, like I'm not going to, if I'm not playing, I don't, I don't know. I want to be a part of the team, you know, I can understand that and uh, walked away. And then I was in the football dorm and not playing football. So the guys kind of ostracized me. And then, uh, then my best buddy at the time transferred in the second year and I moved in with him in the transfer dorm, which is, I guess like the rejects of the campus. <laughs> so like, <laughs> So none of the sport dudes liked me. And then I got, I became really good buddies and we moved off campus again, no Greek life, but we had our own house and we would just throw mm-hmm. just the most reckless ragers that you could ever. Did manage. you guys have uh, your Greek letters of a uh, mega fuck you? No, it was try chops, chopa, oh. chopa, chopa. There may or may not have been during my string at that house, cereal choppings of trees in people's yards. <laughs> so when we were in college, uh, one of my buddies. Uh, What's the statute of limitations would, in Illinois? They would an, fucking. An they would destroy um, uh, fraternities. They they would like we go to the parties, and their whole deal was to rip the the letters off of the house. Oh yeah, and uh, th- because they were in competition with their fraternity, which is mega fuck of you. <laughs> so what they would do is they would bring spray paint, and it would be like M F U. Yeah, yeah and, I guess uh, like that was the mindset we had. That's a good one. It was I don't know, awesome. man. Um, yeah, culturally, I just didn't really align. The, the, I'll, I have to tell you this. You're though. a nihilist. I, I believe you know, in nothing, Lebowski. There is a dude there, the dean of students, Gary Ireland, was like the most patient and like giving dude in, in hindsight. I never appreciated it. It was like, F you, Gary, you know? But like he really did a good job managing the outcasts of that university, which are like, you know, m- myself and Colombo and a couple other dudes, like, man, 
man, we were we were just morons. But I'm glad I got out of my system then <laughs> before you know things really started to get tightened down. What, like with this coronavirus? I'd probably be on Barstool, one of these dumb kids in Florida. Oh, before like, phones, yeah. you mean? <laughs> yeah, like I'm in Florida. I've been waiting like three weeks to get down here, man. I'm going to party. You know, yeah, you know that video I sent? Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> fucking. That'd probably be me. Uh, yeah, the, um, the hilarious, or not the hilarious part, but the kind of the sad part is uh, these kids are getting sick and then they're getting reinfected. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I saw that one. They were like, they've had their first reinfection case and it was some kid and like the second time you get it. It ain't a fucking good thing. That's not good, man. Oh, I have not seen this. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, um, like the second Paul, time, uh, Paul Carter had a pretty good deal that when they were looking at the people that were most yeah. susceptible to dying, it was like uh, pre-existing conditions like diabetes, obesity, mm-hmm. and he went through all these things. And it's like if you're, uh, you know, relatively healthy, in good shape, workout, and you contract it, your chances of, of beating it are, are, you know. Yeah, like, like 900 times yeah, better. Yeah, like, yeah. If, uh, you know, diabetes, sickness, obesity, all the other shit. That's what I wish they would do. This is way sidebar. I wish they would take that cross-section with every health risk factor when they do the actuarials of insurance, let's say. Yeah. Because, man, would our insurance premiums yeah, be a lot Yeah, but our more... BMI is over 30. We're but fucked. E- okay, throw a couple more <laughs> layers in there, right? I don't know. Like Throw bench in. press? <laughs> measure, measured 225 bench tests. How many strict pull-ups? And then also your... Um, deadlift? Uh, insulin sensitivity. Yeah. Like, De- What about deadlifts? No, no, no. Deadlift sensitivity? No, no, deadlift. Come on. <laughs> deadlift sensitivity? Uh, wait, your, uh, uh, your insulin sensitivity post-deadlift? Uh, no, I'm out. I got the deadlift flu. <laughs> also known as... Uh, well, I was joking today. Uh, uh, Baker Levitt hit me up and he's like, man... Like just asking questions, and he's like, "So, like, everything good for food?" I'm like, "Yeah, we're on the um, uh, COVID diet." And he's like, "What's that?" I'm like, "You just go and eat all the meat in your freezer that you just step over." Like, all like I have all this like ground elk, I have all this ground meat, I, and I it, uh, it's all from hunting, but it's um, it's not labeled, so I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So I just grab it, and I've been yeah, I've been like, oh, I'm I'm this and then Kate's like, "What is it?" I'm like, ah, "It's not it's not venison, and I'm pretty sure it's not beef, so it's either buffalo or elk. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's what I've been just eating. And I'm like, I can survive a long time on uh, on what's on the mystery meat in my freezer and protein shakes. Yeah, but I have a shocking, I shouldn't say shocking, that's not the right term. I have an, I'm a surprising amount of marrow bones in my freezer. I do too. So uh, that's what we're like, we're cracking into. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a... Uh, I think I'm always saving them because I'm like... Ah, I'm pretty sure I have a my- buffalo tongue. That weighs like seven pounds. <laughs> and like I, I pulled it out and my wife's like, no. No, I'm like, yeah, this would be great. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in tacos. Taco night, yeah. Yeah, and she, the, the kids fucking lost their minds. So what night are we having taco night, <laughs> I'm John? just going to drop it off at I'm your house. I'm just picturing John like reaching into a deep freeze and like getting like a, a dinosaur tongue on his shoulder. Like Fred Flintstone? Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the kids are, they are the fucking worst, man. Like, like I, I don't know, like my mom would throw the food on the table. Like, like you had, like, she would make your, like the food was there. She would put it on your plate and like, you didn't leave until the food was off the plate and there was no alternate meal. Like there wasn't like, I don't even remember there being an option of like, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. It was like, Hey, you're going to eat this and you're going to sit here until it's all eaten. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, so like, and then my kids would be like, so I, I like look at them and I'm like, I, I don't know what my mom did to put the fear of God in us, but I'm like, like, they're like, you're not doing it. Well, like they're like, I don't like this. I'm like, what does that even mean, Mike? How's the the calf on campus? Pretty. We have epic. a great calf. And we have a great calf. I'm sure calf. kids still complain. Oh yeah, you uh, know what the common thing I hear is uh, so 
uh, the common thing I've I heard, and it's it's funny. It was at Transylvania and here at Every and Henry. Dude, is anybody voice... else weirded out that there's a school named Transylvania? Uh... Wait, it's at the peak of a mountain, and I don't know. <laughs> in Romania, actually, actually Transylvania. So in this area of the country, um, you know, obviously as the the Americans were moving westward, Transylvania is Latin for across the road, the woods. So there's actually a cabin that's a historical site on the Transy Transy campus. Um, where some of the first settlers in the area made camp and built a settlement. So it has nothing to do with bats, um, nothing to do with vampires. It just means across the woods because the settlers that came through the area had to go through a big, um, somewhat uncharted wood area to get to that area that was more plentiful where they could have a hmm. settlement. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. It was occupied by a big vampire guy with spikes of his enemy's heads on yeah. his front yard. Ball, uh, ball Vlad. The Impaler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the Impaler. <laughs> <laughs> just normal stuff. Man, that is such an underrated movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the vampire movie with oh, Dracula um, the musical. It's a phenomenal musical. Isn't that one called Gay Dracula? Like with gay <laughs> no, that's the one with the puppets. <laughs> yeah, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, Joe. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Mike, you were saying the one common thing? Uh, the one common thing the students always say is, yeah, our catering service is one step above all the prisons. It's it's pretty much prison food. That's bullshit. It's crazy. The food yeah. the food is great. And that's an urban legend. That's an urban legend. I agree. The food I agree. Because when I was in college, they said the exact same thing that uh-huh. this was prison food. And when uh, I was we got in the prison, uh, the bologna was fine. <laughs> One step lower than college. <laughs> the, pr- the problem was your nipples. <laughs> bologna nipples. <laughs> my nickname in college. <laughs> <laughs> that was my nickname in prison. <laughs> I think that driven by. Uh, you know, allergies and sensitivities and whatever diet the students want to be on, the menu is actually expanding quite a bit. I mean, you can always find something uh, nutritious or not nutritious um, <laughs> that that fits what you want to eat. And uh, particularly here at Emory and Henry, uh, the gentlemen that run our, our catering service are phenomenal. They actually went in with me on a chocolate milk program for our athletes. So all of our athletes get a half pint of chocolate milk to kickstart their recovery nutrition on their way out of uh, their training session. Sweet. What about soft serve? Do they get soft serve too? Only if they go straight to the calf. We haven't had Dude. that installed yet. Uh, See, like ours, ours was legit too. I don't. Th- I don't know if I, that I, I ever just, complained, but just the idea of having. Like you go get you want to have a gallon of ice cream? Go get a gallon uh, dude, of soft serve. Our uh, walk out my freshman gallon in. It's funny. I still up, say my rookie out. year, but my freshman year in college when I lived in the dorms, uh, I remember we first got there and like our very first meal. We look over and like all these like pretty good looking girls are all over there just <coughs> sorry, like crushing the soft serve. And we were like, oh, like no dinner, just like soft serve. And then like a month later, we're like, ooh, lunchy, they, uh, lunchy, they all started lunchy, looking like melted tisk, soft serve. And like, I, and then the, uh, I asked my brother, I'm like, dude, I remember my brother called me. I'm like, yeah, those chicks are crushing soft serve. He's like, yeah, well, they had these moms that were probably on their ass about getting fat their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden they're like, fuck you, mom. I'm going to wear Birkenstocks and eat soft serve. Mm-hmm. With gummy bears. <laughs> yeah, with gummy mm, Delicious. Yeah, man. You know, what, what really kills me is when you, uh, I'm the nutrition guy, obviously, um, so I, I talk with every team at the beginning of the semester about what, what they're going to be required to do for strength and conditioning, what we expect of them, what they can expect from us. But we also talk about, uh, spend a lot of time talking about nutrition, you know, here's what you eat before and after competition here, are foods to enhance your recovery, um, all that stuff. And you, you know, I do one-on-ones with our athletes all the time to help with their nutrition and food diaries and calories and macros. And then you walk into the cafeteria and I, no joke. I saw, I saw an athlete once 
get a hot dog and put nacho cheese sauce on it. And that was their lunch. Cheesy dogs all day. Uh, I don't know. I, I, used to, I made hot dogs yesterday for my kids, and uh, their desire to put weird stuff on it is mm, pretty funny. Yeah, no, like just you get like a two slices of Wonder Bread, put like five or six hot dogs on there, put some nacho cheese and ketchup. Ooh, you're in a good spot. Hot dog sandwich? <laughs> yeah. That's my nickname in college. <laughs> At the local Hey-o. bar. Hey, I'm on fire. Hey, let's just let's do it again. Isn't that, uh, Should we do another podcast right now? Okay, welcome to Hot Dog Sandwich. <laughs> no, I, hey, Mike, thanks for your time, man. We're two yeah, hours in. I yeah. think we, we all have yeah, things we've, to do. Yeah, we've beat enough dead horses. <laughs> thanks for your time. If people want to follow you, though, man, on social media, you got anything stood up on Instagram, on TikTok? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Coach Mike Caro. Um, and I'm on, I mean, I'm on Facebook. Just look me up, Mike Caro. Um, and if they want to be part of the SIG, uh, just for the love of God, answer the screening questions. Um, I get so many people all the time. They're just like, apply. Who are you? What do you do? You know, it's mm-hmm. we try to we try to be welcoming, but at the same time, we want people that are gonna uh, add to the community. Um, people can always email me mcaro at ehc.edu. I'm glad to help anybody out. One of the things that uh, that's on my plate is as the the SIG chair for the College Coaches SIG is is uh, you know I want to help I want to help the whole profession of strength and conditioning get to the next level. You know, I'm, I want to help uh, our young coaches get their first job. I want to help our experienced coaches to to step things up in their department. It's you know, I want to help the whole field to get better, and it's this is my way of uh, of trying to do that. So, anything I can help out with, within reason, uh, I'm, I'm down for it. <laughs> Good qualifications. No, thanks, man, and appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Hey, thanks a lot for the for the invitation. This has been great. Um, I really appreciate the discussion. You guys are doing um, awesome stuff over at Athlete HQ. Um, I thank you for that in our field, and, and thanks for the great talk. It's really great. Thank you. Bye, Mike. Bye. Thank you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Get to know Coach Mike Caro on Twitter at Coach Mike Caro. And remember, if you're in Southwest Virginia, give him a shout at Emory and Henry College for a tour. Lastly, don't forget to check out Power Athletes Programming Solution to your Fortress of Solitude, Third Monkey. For a mere $50 trip to Home Depot, you can come out the other side of this thing without becoming a lazy piece of shit. Until next time, bye! Make this run on time. A little while pill for them, little while